בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, ברוך השם, we have another week, it's an interesting last few days, everybody's wasting their life following this election, who's going to win, who's going to lose, they also worried about Maase Adam, the hands of man, and they forget about who controls man. And that's the one thing that we try to remind ourselves with these Musar Shewers. You know, we have all of these mitzvot. You know, we have to do all of these things. And it's really nice that we have these mitzvot, we have order, and, and so on. But this book, you know, Baruch Hashem, we're doing this Pekeh Avot Shewer, so we have try to use a bunch of different sources. And this tiny book, Pekeh Avot from Art Scroll, I got this story, so maybe it has some other things I didn't see, and it's not in this book. It actually has something in the beginning that I thought was brilliant. And uh, it talks about, you know, someone asks, Arav, if learning Musar is so important, why is it not one of the 613 mitzvot? Why is it a mitzvah, 614? Learn Musar. Good question, right? It's a good question. It says here, now the, the Vilna Gaon also has an answer, which I'll tell you in a second, but this book says something, it says, in the truest sense, this non-alachic book, meaning the Pirkei Avot, which is not about Alacha, is a prerequisite to Alacha itself. Meaning, if you even want to have a chance a chance at being one of these people that follows Alakha for the right reason, does what's necessary, not because you became accustomed to it, like the guy that lives in the jungle got accustomed to walking around underwear. Like the uh, surfer got used to walking around in a bathing suit all the time. Like the criminal got used to killing and seeing dead bodies because that's what he does for a living. Got accustomed to it because... got. Uh, Got it to become a part of your life because of the right reason. You're worshipping Hashem, you're serving Hashem. In order for you to get to that point, you have to work on yourself. And the Vilna Gaon said, when, uh, when his student asked him, why isn't it one of the mitzvot? He said, because the whole point of all of the mitzvot is to make you a human being. Meaning one doesn't go without the other. Musar doesn't go without mitzvot. Mitzvot don't go without musar. You need one for the other. So this is why it's very, very important for everyone to learn musar. To learn how to behave. How to treat one another. How to develop a real relationship between a husband and a wife. How to develop a relationship between a father and a child. A mother and a child. How to develop a relationship with, between friends. Business partners. And even between you and God. You have to know how to treat the Torah. You have to know how to treat Tamidim Chachamim. You have to know how to treat your rabbi. You have to know if to even choose a rabbi that's uh, local or to choose a, a rabbi that's uh, long distance. You have to know all of these things and all of it is part of Musar. And someone that's just purely learning Alachot all day without learning Musar is missing the point. So uh, if just for that, this book was worth it. Just for that little chidush was worth it for that one line. But this book is actually very good. It's only $10. But anybody who doesn't have any money, there's actually a website that gives them out for free. Um, huh? You have a PDF of it online. 
I don't know if they have a PDF or online, but I know there's one website that uh, gives away, uh, I think, one book a month or something like that for free. And you can get it. I forgot the website, but you can, I'll give it to you after the show. I'll look, up, I'll look it up. And this is actually one of the books they give out for free. But I, I bought this book from Art School. It's like $10 or $9, something like that. It's a good book. came out 30 years ago. They still uh, sell it. So anyway, so we see, Baruch Hashem, this week we have Parashat Lech Lecha. Avraham Avinu was told by as we were introduced to him at the beginning of this week's parasha. It says, "Vayomer Adonai el Avraham Lech Lecha Me'artzecha Moladecha Umebet Avicha El Haaretz Asher Arecha." Hashem says to Abraham, go for yourself from your land, from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land that I will show you. So here we see that Hashem is, has a whole world full of people, millions and millions of people, if not more. But He chooses this one man after the whole destruction of the Mabul, the flood that we had, and then 350 years later approximately, uh, the uh, Tower of Babel, where Hashem destroyed the Tower of Babel. And as more generations pass, 10 generations from Adam Rishon, you fast forward 10 generations, you get to Avram Avinu. Hashem chooses this one man, Avram, and He tells him, okay, Leave everything behind. Leave your um, the place that you were born, your your nation. Leave uh, leave the place that you were born. Your your nation. Leave the place that you were born. Leave your, the uh, house of your father. If you notice, it's an order of difficulty. Leave your country is less difficult. Leaving your country, leaving America, let's say, it's going to be less difficult than leaving your place of birth. Because you can move to a different country. You've, you know, make a move. Get a job. Different reasons. But leaving your hometown, I grew up here, my high school is here, my friends are here, it's a little more difficult. So that's the second step. So he says, which is your country, and then the place that you were born in, which in essence is the same place he's talking about. And then third he says, from your father's house, which is the most difficult, leaving, leaving the house of mommy and daddy. Here you see there's an order of difficulty now, obviously, if Hashem wanted to just say this to Avram Avinu, and not to us today, then He would just say, Avram, leave. Lech lecha. That's it. You understand? Avram was a genius. He already discovered God at the age of three. At the age of three, He realized that God is real. He realized that God rules the world. Just when He came out of the cave, because what ended up happening, according to the Midrash, Nimrod, the wicked king at the time of Babylon, was called Nimrod because he, call, he caused everyone to go against Hashem. Did he know that Hashem existed, Nimrod? Again, okay. and he wanted to, everyone to go against it. 
and worship idols, worship him. But his, uh, the people that uh, worked for him, that would read stars, the necromancers, would uh, told him one day that uh, someone was born today that's going to destroy you. A boy was born today, so he commanded all of the people that had boys born that day, bring him in. Now one of his workers, Terach, he knew everyone knew that he just says he just had a boy. So okay, bring the boy. Now Terach obviously is his son. Avram is his son. But Terach also had a uh, maidservant. That he also uh, that was like another wife of his. And she also had a boy that day. So you brought that boy. What a coincidence. Everything okay. coincidence. <laughs> so he brought that boy and Nimrod uh, Rasha killed all the kids. And then he went and he hid Avram inside the cave. For the next three years, Avram was inside the cave. Eventually after three years, Avram came out of the cave and he saw as a son. Oh, so he started worshiping the sun. That must be God. He realized that it has to be a God. It cannot be this world. He started looking around. He's like, well, look at the tree. Where did the tree come from? Where did this other tree come from? Where did this big mountain come from? Who controls all these big things? Who made all of this? Can't be all this came from nothing. It's not like the idiots today that think that everything came from some explosion by accident. At three years old, he was already smarter than the entire generation we have. He's like, oh, everything has to come by... A perfect designer. So he says, maybe it's you know it's the sun. She starts worshiping the sun, and then he sees the sun goes down, and the moon comes up. So he starts doing tshuva. I made a mistake. Obviously, the moon is stronger than the sun because the sun went down. It's bowing to the moon. So he starts doing tshuva. Starts crying to the to the moon. I'm sorry. I worshipped the wrong uh, the wrong one. You're the god. You're this one. He's doing tshuva now. So the whole night he's crying to the moon, I'm sorry. But then the moon goes down. So obviously he realizes, okay, not this one, not this one. And he starts crying to Shemaim asking, please, please tell me what's the truth. And then Baal Adira, the owner of the house, mitzits, meaning peaks, and shows them, it's me. Hashem says, you're looking for me, I'm God. So already Avraham Avinu was a brilliant, brilliant mind from birth, discovered who Hashem was already at a very young age, didn't need Torah proofs, didn't need any uh, special uh, DVDs or anything, well Hashem, he discovered it just by asking, by seeking Hashem. But he's in a different generation. Different times were much lower than he was. But nonetheless, why am I mentioning all of this? Because if Hashem was just trying to talk to him here, he would just say, Avram, lech, Avram, go. So here we see that Hashem is saying not only a message to Avram, he's saying a message to us today. He said, listen, to Avram, who was a genius, who was a tzaddik, who was the forefather of Judaism, I'm giving him specific instructions. 
leave your homeland, leave the place you were born, leave the house of your father. And I know it's getting more and more difficult. Each one is more and more difficult. The tests are going to keep getting more difficult. Why? Because if you want to get to where I want to take you, you have to, you have to withstand these tests. And they're only going to get harder. They're not going to get easier. The tests are not going to get easier. It's going to be harder to have bigger tests. But remember, you want to get to where I want you to be? You want to get to the homeland? You want to get to the promised land? You want to get to the grand prize? You have to leave everything behind. If it doesn't fit, if it doesn't fit in your luggage, if it doesn't fit in your heart, if it doesn't fit within your lifestyle, if it's not going to come with you and it's going to be a complement to your journey, you have to leave it behind, my friend. If your friends are not helping you do tshuva, you have to leave them behind. If your girlfriend is not interested in doing tshuva and getting married like a kosher couple, you have to leave that behind. If your boyfriend is still interested in going to bars and you want to do a real, real tshuva, you have to leave that behind. You have to understand that this is not necessarily telling people, listen, break off our relationship, don't call your parents anymore, everyone's not worth it. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. But you have to understand that in order to get to where you need to be, in order to get to the, your, desti- your destination, sacrifices are going to be necessary. Some of those sacrifices are not just going to be money or health or time. Some of those sacrifices are going to be relationships. And that's, some of the, that's one of the more, more difficult things for people to, to understand and to deal with because, listen, my friend since I, don't know, I was 10 years old, how could I uh, leave him behind? I'm not saying you leave him behind. I'm saying that you have to go on your journey and you're not, you cannot allow anyone to hold you back. You go do your thing, you do tshuva. Once you're strong, you come back and help anybody you want. But you can't not do it because your friends are not coming. You can't not do tshuva because your girlfriend's not willing to do it. You can't not do tshuva because all your boys are still interested in baseball games. And you can't say, listen, you know what, maybe I could do like half. I could hang out with the guys and learn some Torah. I could violate half the Shabbat. It's no such thing. It's either 100% truth or 100% lie with some truth in it. Which is still a lie. So, here Hashem is telling us in this week's parasha, there's going to be certain sacrifices that we need to make in order for us to get to where we need to be. Now, in this week's Pirkei uh, Avot, we have a continuation of uh, the sages explaining to us some things that we can carry with us which coincide with this parasha. Says Yosi ben Yoezer ish Tzedav, Yosi ben Yochanan ish Yerushalayim, kiblu mehem. Yosi ben Yoezer, Yosi the son of Yoezer, leader of Tzreda, and Yosi ben Yochanan, leader of Jerusalem. So these two people received tradition from them. From who? From Antigonos, from Shimon Tzadik, all the people we talked about last week. So here you see. That unlike all other religions, all other cults, all other belief systems that people have, in Judaism, 
we must know where the source is. If you notice, I try to make an extra effort because it's not one of these big Tamidim Chachamim that knows everything by heart. So I try to make an effort to remind you guys if anybody wants to double check here or online where I got what I said so they don't think it's from my own opinion, I, I, I make sure of the source. This is not to show off, oh, I know page number this one or that one. It has nothing to do with that. Why? Because as it says in Pirkei Avot, someone who provides the source of where he got his information from brings salvation to the world. This is chapter 6 of Pirkei Avot. So, in Judaism, it's very, very important to provide a source. Why? Because number one, we're not interested in your opinion. That's what Am Yisrael is telling you, we're not interested in your opinion. The only opinion we're interested in is God's opinion. And if it's not direct from God, meaning we didn't get it in the Chamisha Chum Torah, the five books of Moses, in Mount Sinai, then we know we have to get it from the sages, which is also part of the Torah we got from Mount Sinai, but it's oral Torah. Either way, we need to get have a direct lineage from what you're saying all the way back to Mount Sinai. Either written Torah or oral Torah. Your opinion is irrelevant. We have no interest in your opinion whatsoever. Anyone that states their opinion and makes it as if it's the Torah, it's 100% kfirah. It's not Torah. You have to tell people, if it's your opinion, it's okay, you're allowed to say your opinion. But tell you, it's my opinion. So, in Judaism, we have, a, we have a rule here, we have to know that everything has a source. So here you see again, every week we see each Mishnah starts with where they got it from. First, we see, the first Mishnah was Moshe got it from Mount Sinai, gave it to Joshua, uh, Joshua gave it to the, uh, the elders, the elders gave it to the prophets, the prophets gave it to Anshek Nesedagdola, the men of the great assembly. Then the week after that, we say that the, uh, the last of the uh, uh, men of great assembly was Shimon HaTzadik. Then after that, we had last week, we had uh, Antigonos, which was one of the Shimon HaTzadik's students. And now we have Yossi ben Yoezer and Yossi ben Yochanan. It says they received it from them. From who? From the same people, from the Shimon uh, Tzadik. From Antigonus. Some say they got it direct, they were the students of Antigonus. Some of them say that they were students originally of Shimon Tzadik and then Antigonus. Either way, we know the source. This is the same case with the entire Torah where a lot of people have, that have, you know, uh, problems with beliefs. Usually you find out that some of them are true truth seekers, meaning that really looking for the truth, they just don't know. But sometimes it's just people that have an excuse. So, usually, at some point, both of these types of people will say, listen, well, how do I know that the Torah is the same Torah that you had in Mount Sinai? How do I know? And the reason why we know is because we have exactly the names, which I'm going to read off to you right now, just for the, for the record for people to know. We have exactly the names of where our Torah was all the way from Moses all the way to today. So there's no questions of... Nobody can say, listen, the rabbi this, the rabbi that, no rabbi, no nothing. Okay, so here's the list. This is also part of the oral Torah. Moses, greatest of all prophets, gave it to Joshua, Yeshua ben Nun, not the, uh, the uh, Christian. Uh, Yeshua ben Nun, one of the greatest uh, prophets of all time. 
also gave it to uh, Elazar, the son of Aaron, and also Pinchas. So he taught all three of them were his main students. After that, Pinchas, which was the uh, high priest and the son of Elazar. After that was Eli, the judge and the high priest. After that, Eli gave it to Samuel, the prophet. After that, King David. After that, Achia, the prophet. After that, Elijah, the prophet. Elisha, the prophet. Yehoyada, the high priest. Zechariah, Hosea, Amos, Isaiah, Micha. All of these are prophets I'm mentioning. Then it's Joel, Joel, uh, or Joel, I think you say it in English. Uh, then uh, the next, each one I mentioned, each name I'm mentioning is a generation. Then after uh, Joel, it's uh, Nahum, or Nahum, I think in English, 17th already. Then after that, it's uh, Habakkuk. Then the 19th generation, it's Zephania. Then 20th is uh, Jeremiah, the prophet. Then it's Baruch, the prophet. Then, after the 22nd generation, it's Ezra the scribe. But his court, Ezra had the scribe, but he had, he had a court, which included the prophets Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Daniel the prophet, which we have the book of Daniel. Uh, like all of these actually have a book of them. Uh, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, Nehemiah, Mordechai, uh, Zerubavel, and Shimon HaTzadik. Same one that we have here, we talk about. So Shimon HaTzadik, we are already meeting some of his students, Antigonos, Yosef ben Yoezer. Then from the 24th generation to the 34th generation, um, there is a, uh, a series of, uh, of in, in the introduction to Mishneh Torah by the Rambam, it's a series of people who shows you who all those people are. Then in generation 35, Rabbi Yudah Nasi, Rabbi, Rabbi, he's the one that uh, continued it, continued the oral Torah, and he actually abbreviated the oral Torah, because the oral Torah was so massive, that Rabbi knew that it was, the generations are little by little deteriorating, and they're not going to be able to memorize all of this oral Torah, to give you an example, in the Gemara, Masechet Avodah it says that Avraham Avinu, his Gemara Avodah his tractate of Avodah had 4,000 parts. 4,000 parts. Ours today is condensed to, I believe, seven. Two books. Avodah Zarah is two books. Small books. Each one is, no, each one is... 500 pages, I think. There's one. There's two. This is Gemara, Masechet Avodah So this one, this is Gemara Avodah Zarah, right here, these two books. How many parts in there? Yes. Five, I'm sorry. Five parts. We have five chapters in Masechet Avodah Each one of these hours, maybe 500 pages. Let's say. So he has five five parts, let's say. So um, meaning this these thousand pages, let's say, are divided into five parts. He had four thousand. Meaning that just to Avodazah would fill up pretty much half this house. <laughs> half this living room. You understand what I'm saying? This is the old thought, this is what he knew in his head. 
So to finish the Shas, to finish the entire, the entire, uh, just to finish the Masechet Abu Dazara will probably take you a lifetime. Forget about finishing the entire Shas. Today, with the, the minimizing that they've done, it still takes seven and a half years for someone that does uh, Daf Yomi. This is minimized version. This is minimized version. So it all started with Rabbi Udanasi, Rabbi, in the 35th generation, 35th generation after Moshe Rabbeinu. Who minimized it in a brilliant, abbreviated version. And called it the Mishnah. And then generation 36 to 39. Rabbi Yochanan wrote the Talmud Yerushalmi. The Talmud, he wrote the Talmud, which you see here. But the Jerusalem version, which came before the Bavli. Before the, uh, the, the Babylonian Talmud. And this was written... The Talmud was written 300 years after the destruction of the Second Temple. The Second Temple was destroyed approximately 2,000 years ago. A little less than 2,000 years ago. So the Jerusalem Talmud was written 300 years after the destruction. Okay? And then in the uh, 39th generation, Rav Asher um, wrote, the, uh, the sage Rav Asher, uh, Rav Asher, uh, wrote down the Babylonian Talmud, the, the Talmud Bavli. He knew all the rabbis, Abayim, Exactly. Now all of that, putting together the whole Talmud was work, massive, massive work. It's uh, it's parv. If you're asking, what is it? it's parv? Parv and it's mezonot. Um, Thank you. Yeah, no. So the. Putting together the whole Talmud meant that you needed to know an enorm- not only an enormous amount of Torah, but you needed to know everything that everyone said over the last almost 500 years. Conversation that Rebbe had with this one, the conversation that Reb- this one had with Rav, and Rav had with Rava, and Rava had with Abaye, and Abaye had with his students, and students had with Rabbi Meir. You have to know everybody's conversations, what he said, what he said, and his opinion, and his opinion, and never- this is work, 500 years worth of work. Yes, no, everything. Amen. Everyone's work, everyone's words, because this is Allahot, this is Mount Sinai, this is life or death. And it's all true. Even if, it dis- even if one sage disagrees with the other, there's a machloket, they're both right. There's Bet Shammai and there's Bet Ilel, they're both right. We go most of the time, we go by Beti Leli, he's more lenient. But they say that at the time of Mashiach, we're going to go by Bet Shammai. It's going to be stronger. We're not going to have Yetzirah, Baruch Hashem. So, we see here, that unlike all of the other religions, where some guy had a dream in the middle of the desert and no witnesses, or some woman had a dream and somehow she got pregnant when her husband wasn't home. There's nothing like that in Judaism. Judaism, we know exactly where everything came from. And also, all of the people that wrote it, all of the people that were involved in it, all of the people that said anything, we see clearly it's not their opinion. Why? You see where they got it from, you see the source is all the way to Mount Sinai. Yes, they put, you know, pen to paper. But you see where the source came and you see it's all the way from Mount Sinai. Now, this is everything. Because if, if it's from God, I can't go against it. It's from God. 
Who am I to tell him what to do? I agree with it, disagree with it, it's irrelevant. Your opinion is no longer relevant. He's the manufacturer, he's the creator, he's right. I agree with it, disagree with it, it doesn't make a difference. But if it's for men, what makes them better than me? Even though, obviously, I could give you 500 million proofs of why people were much better than us 500 years ago or 1,000 years ago than today, but it doesn't make a difference. The point is he's still man, he's still frail, he still has flesh and blood, he's still faulty to a certain extent. But once you know it has a source from God, everything changes. Then whether I like it or not is no longer valid. I just have to find a way to do it. So it's very, very important for us to know where everything came from. And also, this is another way that for anyone that uh, unfortunately has the displeasure of dealing with messianics or people that uh, try to preach them Christianity, um, this is also one of the best things to explain to them about why they shouldn't believe in what their own belief. Not Listen, they don't necessarily all need to convert. If they want to convert, more than welcome to. But they can still be righteous Gentiles. They don't have to convert. If they want to convert, help them in any way you can. If they, don't, if they can't handle it, or they, it's not uh, possible for them to convert, at least they should be righteous Gentiles, which means they have to leave Christianity. Why? Because it's fake. One of the ways that you can see that it's at the very least unstable and not reliable is the fact that you see, look, based on its own history, on Christian history itself, the New Testament book was written between 70 to 300 years after everyone in that book died. After everyone in the book died, after JC died, after every character in that book died, after everyone died, that's when someone wrote the, wrote the book. Which means... How did he know they existed? He never saw them. How do they know he existed, Bechlal? Yeah. None of the characters in the book were alive to testify about what happened. And none of the people that wrote about it have any way to say that this actually happened. There's no evidence. Can't track anything. There's no like old text message. There's no email system that they could uh, look. They didn't have the same efficient server system that Hillary Clinton has. She deletes half the emails. They just didn't even have the system at all. You know, so you see that the point I'm trying to tell you is that you see that there's a huge, huge gap. That's not like a gap like it's like, ah, listen, you can just look over it. It's like a lost page. It's like a lost page. Like, for example, there is a, uh, anyone who reads Gemara, you know, there's a couple of uh, places in the Gemara where they change the name from the original version. Like, for example, in the uh, Gemara, Masechet um, Sota, page 47, and also in Masechet uh, Sanhedrin, page 107, and also Masechet Shabbat, uh, maybe 46, something like that. So all three of them mention the story, the real story of J.C. Penny, the real story of J.C. and uh, who he was, and um, it's not it's not exactly a uh, complimenting story. But if you notice, in most Gemarot, they don't mention his name; they say student. They say student. 
um, they just mentioned a student of um, of Israv, a uh, what's his name? What's his name? A Yeshua uh, ben Parchia, the student of Yeshua ben Parchia. And they talk about the whole thing that happened. In Gemara Masechet Sotah, it talks about uh, exactly the details of what happened, where pretty much the uh, Yeshua ben Parchia, the rabbi, the sage, were is a uh, was traveling, and you know they were they were hiding first, they were hiding from the Romans. And uh, then he found out that uh, there's peace, so he was coming back, back into town, but he stopped over at uh, some righteous person's house, and uh, this person's, righteous person's wife was very accommodating, very nice lady, she was giving him food and so on, and uh, the rabbi, Rabbi Yeshua, was saying uh, to his students, oh, look what... Uh, what nice midot she has. Like what derech eret she has. And the uh, student, which is we find out is JC, is, uh, says, yeah, she's ugly. Look, her eyes are crooked. He First of all, he misunderstood the rabbi thinking that what he said was instead of her having derech eretz was she looked good. He was just saying she has good midot. And uh, some say he misunderstood it. But either way, his answer was completely inappropriate, saying, no, nah, she has crooked eyes, she's not even good looking. Um, and then also there's another Maaseh, there's another event where they say that they, uh, he looked at other women. Was, uh, long story short, the rabbi said, this is Rasha. This is what you learn from me. You learn to... Occupy your mind by looking at women, especially uh, somebody's wife, and he kicked him out. So then he tried coming and apologizing twice, and the rabbi, you know, wanted to uh, teach him some musar. He was a very strong rabbi, and he rejected him the first two times. Rejected him the first two times to show that he's serious. He really did tshuva, and it says basically if you are uh, you know if, if if you wronged somebody you have to you have to ask for forgiveness three times. But it also says that if it's a talmid chacham, a thousand times is not enough. But either way, Yeshua ben Parchia was planning on forgiving him on a third time. But uh, Jesus came. On the uh, third time, but when did he come? Obviously, showing he didn't do tshuva, he didn't do nothing. When when did he come? In the middle of prayer, they were, they were praying shachrit. They were praying shachrit. Now, halacha is you're not allowed to speak during your prayers. Not like the bet knesset where everybody talks like uh, about baseball and football and the elections. Not allowed to not allowed to speak during prayer. It's a soul. It's it's a it's a house of Hashem. You're not allowed to speak anything other than prayer in the knesset. It's so not that. It's a big it's a big avira. So, obviously the sages, you didn't have to tell him that. So he's praying in Beknesset, he's praying. And what is he doing? Especially he's doing Kriyat Shema. He's doing Shema Yisrael. Now Shema Yisrael, Gemara Masechet Brachot, it says, even if a king, a king comes into the Beknesset, a king comes, it's, you're not allowed to stop Kriyat Shema. Only if your life is in danger. 
only if your life is in danger. So now, yeah, scorpion. So now, he's in Gachma. And this guy is, you know, trying to get his attention. So the rabbi is trying, you know, he can't talk to him. So he goes like this to him, meaning, come back, like, I can't talk to you right now. What are you going to tell him? Listen, I can't talk, you can't, you can't tell him. So he's standing like this, you know, like, he's waving him. So Jesus takes it a different way than he's supposed to. Or maybe the way that he really wanted to take it, just didn't, <laughs> whatever the case may be. And he completely falls off. He says, oh, you reject me. He goes against, he leaves town, he goes and learns sorcery. He goes to people that worship idols and learns sorcery from them. Some people say he learned sorcery and that's what how he did some of the magic tricks that he did. Some people say that he uh, took the secret of knowing Hashem's name from Rabbi Yoshua uh, and used it in order to, uh, the, the full name of Hashem, uh, and used it to make magic. Uh, I don't know if he tattooed it or not. All I know is that the... Um, point is that whether he made magic or he didn't make magic doesn't make a difference. The point is they say that's, that's how the story goes. But then, the Gemara continues and says that Rabbi Yeshua came, came back to him and uh, asked him to do tshuva. Do tshuva. And he says, uh, no, it's too late for me. As I learned from you, anyone that's a machti arabim, anyone that causes the public to sin, they don't let him do tshuva. Meaning, he felt that he can't do tshuva anymore. Why? Because he led them to do make sins. Why did he make them do sins? He made them idol worship. Made him made him into an idol and so on. So that's the story of Jesus in the Gemara. Now, there's a few other places that mention the name Jesus in the Gemara. So, first thing is to come back to our point is that we see that in the Gemara it doesn't actually say his name in many versions of the Gemara. You buy, you know, whether it's in uh, Art Scroll. Other versions sometimes they won't mention the name Jesus, they'll mention just Talmud, uh, student. And some of them don't have the whole story at all. Like they don't have the whole story I just told you, they cut that out of the Gemara. Why? Because uh, approximately 700 years ago, the, uh, the, uh, the Christians saw a Gemara and they took offense to it. Saying that they're talking bad about their uh, their God. How you know one of the Gemarot says he's a kofer, he's a heretic. Another one says he's in Gehenom. You know, each story gets worse than the other. They took it very very personally and they started uh, killing Jews over it. Started burning Gemarot. So for the sake of uh, you know of, of Am Yisrael, they cut that piece out of the Gemara. But you know there was still some uh, you know the truth. Always finds a way to win. The, the you know the, the real version still still uh, survived, but even today, it's not uh, the easiest thing for a big company or a big publishing company to just say, "Listen, by the way, your uh, your GC is in hell." You know, so they don't just say, "Student, it's not going to help anybody." To tell us that. Also, the yeah, the Goyim saying in their book, some of their own sages say that he went to hell and he came out. He's in hell because he's suffering for our sins. 
So that's one. So first thing, so we see there's certain changes in there, but again, even the changes, we know where the changes happened. You see what I'm saying here? So even the stuff that we know is different from the original, we know exactly when it changed. We even try, Judaism is, is, is one of the beauties about it, is that we can even track the changes of when those changes happened and what they were, meaning that we can always get back to the original. and Because there wasn't that many changes anyway, and any one of the changes, we have a reason for it. If it's the same Ami Sled from, from murdering, obviously we're going to change something to take out this little story that's uh, not necessary. You understand? So, that's one. The second thing about that point is that what, why do they mention in the Gemara several times? One of the reasons they mention in the Gemara is to teach us that when you're rebuking somebody, you should push with one arm and pull with the other. You can't be overly stringent with people and with your students, with family, or with uh, people that are in your life and just push everyone away. So over here we're learning on one end, yes, lech lecha, you have to leave your place of, uh, your nation, you have to leave your, uh, uh, or your country, you have to leave your, uh, your, your uh, place of birth, you have to leave your father's house. Yes, on one end I tell you, listen, you have to make certain sacrifices and move on with your life. But we're not saying leave them and completely disassociate with them forever. What we're saying here is that if you look at the continuation of this story, you see that initially Avram left, but then eventually you see Terach is back in the story. His father is back in the story because Terach eventually did Tshuva. Terach eventually did Tshuva. He didn't continue an idol worshiper for the rest of his life. But since, but since he actually made other people sin, he had to come back in a Gilgul. He had to come back in a reincarnation. And Chazal says, and the Zohar Kadosh says that Terach came back as a Gilgul as Job. As Job, Job, which is the one that suffered an extraordinary amount of suffering, and one of the sources that shows that Terach and Job were the same neshama, were the fact that they said that they responded to their wives the same way, when when there was different a uh, um, when disaster struck and they got upset at their wife, they both uh, they both um, the responded the same way, the same words to the wives. So. The point here is that, yes, at one point you're going to have to make a certain sacrifice and leave everything behind, leave your friends behind, leave whoever behind, and get yourself stronger, get yourself closer to Hashem. Get yourself really, really close to Him and strong enough to do Kiruv. Strong enough to do Kiruv. You can't just go hang out at the bar a week after you started keeping Shabbat thinking you're going to get everybody else to keep Shabbat. First, you have to show people that Judaism is not a nice thing to do. It's part of you. Torah is not just a hobby. It's you. You need it. Once you show them it's priority number one, that already, that character trait, that choice is stronger than any word you can say. But if you tell them, listen, today I learned Torah, tomorrow I'm going to hang out with you. Oh, you know what? If it's better for you, I'll hang out with you today and tomorrow I'll do Torah. Which means that Torah is like an elective. You could do it sometimes, not do it sometimes. They're more important than Torah. 
Sometimes the Torah is more important than them. Sometimes like if you hear in there, that's going to be more valuable to them than any words you're going to say. Meaning they're not going to listen to anything. I said, listen, his Torah is sometimes valuable, sometimes not valuable. When he decides, I'll decide. So that's also something very important. But at the same token, you have to, so one end, you can't push them away completely, disassociate with them, never call them again, nothing. Or call every single person on the street, rasha, rasha, rasha. You can't do that. On the other hand, you can't be one of them. So you have to pull them in a little bit. Hey, listen, let's hang out. But you know what? Let's hang out. It's Torah. You know what? When I, when I hang out, okay, come to my house. And already, when he comes to your house, you already have a shield to playing. You know, you're not going to watch cable television. What are you going to do? So you put a DVD in there of uh, Rabbi Zerachim Shio. You put a YouTube on there. You watch one of our shiurim. And it's already playing in the background. The guy's going to hear, oh, what is that? Oh, let's, see, let's listen to it five minutes. Next, you know, the guy's listening for two hours. So you have to be smart. So you... Have to be creative with things like this. You pull in one hand, you push with the other hand, and as Hashem, you help people do tshuva. So here, so far we've learned that in order for um, for us to do tshuva ourselves and to help other people, we uh, we have to know a few things. Number one, we need to know that what we're doing is not our opinion. It's something that has direct sources, direct records, all the way from Mount Sinai. Once you know this is directly from God, it gives you all the conviction you need to do it and to preach it. Because if it's just your opinion, your opinion will change. Eventually your opinion will change. Today you like blue, tomorrow you like green, next week maybe you like pink, and two weeks from now you don't like any color. Six months later you like white, because it's this and that. Your opinion is going to change. But if it's from God, it doesn't change. Then you know, wait, this is God. God said this. God said this. That's all the conviction you need. So that's one for you to do it. Second thing is, when you talk about it, you're going to have a lot more passion about it. Because again, who doesn't want to spread the word of God? If God spoke to you at Mount Sinai, you're not going to tell everybody? People get a uh, bracha from some rabbi. They get, you know, they, they tell the whole world for 30 years. People went to the Rebbe from Lovavitch 30 years ago. They got a dollar bill. Till this day, they tell the story. Okay, the Rebbe was a big tzaddik. But come on, man, you got a dollar. Okay, it's not, you didn't get Ruach HaKodesh. Relax. I also got a dollar when I was a little kid. What's the, it doesn't make me a tzaddik, it doesn't make me anything. Okay, you got a dollar. But, so that's the thing. But you got a message from God. You have something bigger. What do you have? You have the five books of Moses. You have a Tanakh, you have Gemara. You have Mishnah. You have the word of God in your hand. You're not going to publicize it to people? You don't need a bracha from anybody. You have God. God God wrote this. God put this in paper. It doesn't get better than this. So once you understand this is from God, and you realize that I know it didn't change because I just heard this is the list of people, prophets, sages, kings, Direct historical lesson of who exactly delivered to all, all the way to this generation. You know, okay, this is so I have sources re- that are reliable. I have proof this is from God and it hasn't changed all the way to now. And any change I can track. So if they change a name to student, I know why. And any other change that in the Torah, 
in, in the old Torah. There's a reason for it, and you can track them. There's even books about it of certain things that have changed over the years, and why. But it's not like thousands or anything like that. There's a few changes here and there. That would, that, no, Allah doesn't change. Allah is from Mount Sinai. There's certain things that are no longer relevant. Um, we can't do during our during our times, but Allah doesn't change. Um, there's minagim. There's minagim. There's a uh, uh, customs that change, but uh, not Allah. So now you have yourself the, all the conviction you need in order to publicize the Torah because now you know it's from God. It's not anybody's opinion. It's not Yaron's opinion. It's not Rabbi Zrahi's opinion. It's not uh, anybody's opinion. It's not your opinion. It's God's opinion. That is something I want to sell. It's the, best, it's the best product in the world. So that's one. Two. It's not going to be easy. Why? Because no one wants to listen. Why? Because if they listen, they already know ahead of time. Their Yetzirah already knows. If I listen to this, I know he's right. And I can't, if I know he's right and I'm wrong, I can't continue doing what I'm doing. Because that would make me insane. To know that what you're doing is wrong, but continuing to do it would make you insane. That's the definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, meaning that you're expecting it to be right eventually. No one does anything intentionally knowing that it's wrong. Meaning that if you continue to do it, you think that it's eventually going to be right. But if you know it's not going to be right, because he's right, I can't continue to do it. I have to change. But I don't want to change. There lies the problem. So sometimes you're going to have to chase people. You have to call them. You have to invite them. You have to text them. You have to email them. You have to Facebook them. You have to WhatsApp them. You have to show up at their house. You have to do whatever you want. You have to do everything. Send them packages. You have to do all these different things to chase all these different Jews non-stop, non-stop to, uh, to just, just give them a chance. To give you guys an uh, understanding of a... This is a mystical story, but I know you guys like mystical stuff. It's a good story. Is this far, by the way? Yes. Yes. Man. Man. Which Talmud is more important, the Bavli or the Jerusalem? Uh, we go by the Talmud Bavli. Mm. We go by the Talmud Bavli. And the reason why we go by the Talmud Bavli is because Talmud Bavli was written after the Yerushalmi, which means that the ones that put together the... Bavli saw everything that the Yerushalmi wrote already, which they included. Right. But there's some people that, you know. It's good to learn both, right? Yeah, of course. It's a big ma'ala, it's a big uh, high level. Any big, big Tamidim Chachamim, they, they learn both of them. Yeah. But focus, the overall majority of the focus is Bavli. So there was a big tzaddik. To give you guys an understanding of the value of a neshama, a Jewish neshama. There was a big tzaddik a few hundred years ago named Rabbi Pinchas from Kuritz. Kuritz was a place that he was born. This <laughs> a crazy story. So this tzaddik was... Um, Oh, he had Ruach HaKodesh. And uh, one of the last generations 
perhaps that had Lacha Kodesh and uh, he would deal with all types of really mystical things really high level stuff like helping Neshamot from previous generations Dibukim all types of stuff like that now he had 10 students and he had to deal with them I'll pay you each one ruble, which was a lot of money at the time. Pay you one ruble. And, you know, for each pay period. I don't know if it was every two weeks or every month. Whatever it was. It was considered a lot of money. Pay you each one ruble. And you only study Torah. Don't do anything else. You don't have to worry about anything. So let's say, for example, everybody else that would learn Torah in other places will probably get a quarter of that. So they got plenty of money. All they needed to do... Learn Torah. That's it. And the, one of his students, the one that was like the manager, to give out the money, all of them had a lot of high respect for Rabbi Pinchas. And they would never bother him about nothing. They just, all they focused on, learn Torah. And the manager, also, a lot of respect for the Rav, very rarely we would ask him with anything. Every month, he'd come to him, ask him for the uh, money for the people, or the rab would come to him, give him the 10 rubles, because 10 students. He'd give out to the 9 people, take one for himself, and that's it. The rest of the time, they'd leave the rabbi alone to do whatever he needs to do. And once in a while, he would come and teach them some things, but overall, everybody was on autopilot. One day, the manager gets the envelope with the money, he sees there's only nine rubles. There's one missing. Now he's going to go to the Rav. Hey Rav, you forgot how to count. Missing one over here. You tell the Rav you made a mistake. It's not kavod. It's not like today where people write you on the internet. Hey, you made a mistake. It's Balkoziba, not uh, you know Shabtai Tzvi. You know, they make sure that you know that you made a mistake on some name that's irrelevant. It's not like today. Eh, say... Uh, Rabbi, you made a mistake. You're not going to say it. It's kavod to the Rav. So, says, listen, maybe I made a mistake. Okay, so this month, I'm not going to get paid. This is the manager saying. Manager saying, I'm not going to get paid. He gives everybody the nine. For himself, he doesn't take it. Sadiq. Another month, gets an envelope. Rav Pinchas gives him. How many? Nine. Nine. Is he going to go to the Rav or not going to go to the Rav? He's not, not going to go to the Rav. Sadiq, he's not going to go to the Rav. He's thinking himself. Kaparat avonot, what can I do? Maybe it's uh, repentance for my sins. What can I do? I'm not getting paid again. Said that again. He pays everybody. Another month? Gets envelope? How many? Nine. Again, nine. It's the third month. Now, he's poverty now. Now he has no money. He's three months. All the savings are gone. He has no, no money, no money to eat. He's a mama's poverty. But he's still not going to go to the Rav, disturb the Rav. The Rav is fixing Neshamot. I'm going to go disturb him. Another month. By the fourth month, he got the envelope. Again, nine. The same day, some businessman walks into the yeshiva. 
and comes to him. He says, hey, you interested in making some quick money? He goes, why, what do you have? He goes, I have a bunch of flour. Flour. Sacks of flour. Try to sell it. Every big sack that you sell, pay you one ruble. Guy says, listen, I need to eat. Okay, fine. Closes the Gemara, goes out. Within a few hours, he sells the whole sack. He thought it's going to take him a whole week to sell the sack. Within a few hours, he sells the whole sack. Guy says, oh, the businessman says, okay, tomorrow I'm going to give you two sacks. Next day, a few hours, sold two sacks. So already, now, what do you make? Me three rubles. He goes, okay, let me sell one more sack and make up for the last few months. The business says, listen, obviously you have some talent here. Let's do this. I have some money. You have talent. You're a good salesman. I'm going to open a fancy supermarket. With all the nice things that I can bring from different places, the fruits, the vegetables, all the different tasty things that we can bring. I'll invest all the money. You run the place. 50-50. I hope the manager said no. Opportunity of a lifetime. Opportunity of a lifetime. Making millions of dollars in a second. What, what are you going to do? Nothing. What are you going to do? You're going to show up. He says, okay, fine. No problem. And, to, you know, back in those days, it's not like today you had to do a lot of construction and get a uh, title from the city, you know, permits, this, that. Within a week, you got a supermarket. So they built the place up. That's it. He's running a supermarket. And he continues. He starts running the supermarket. Everybody comes. It's very successful. But still, every month, he comes to the yeshiva, collects the money from the Rav, and gives it to the people. But how much is he getting? Nine. He's still getting nine rubles. He's not getting ten. Still every month. So he says, listen, if I would have continued, I still would have been broke. Still don't have, still giving me only nine. But at least I have this job now that I can make some money. So he's making money, making money, making money. One day this uh, paritz, like, uh, sort of like a uh, local king or a mayor. But a mayor is not really strong enough because a mayor of today is just a guy that you see in the news once in a while. Mayor of those days was able to kill people if they wanted. You know, somebody goes against them, they say the wrong word, they look at them the wrong way, they kill them on the spot. Death penalty. So Paritz, one day tells his people, listen, give me orange juice. And they bring him orange juice and he hates it. He goes, give me the best orange juice we have, all the money I have, you can't give me orange juice. Like, listen, there is really good orange juice, but the only place we can get it from is from this Jew. We're at a supermarket. But we don't want to give any money to the Jews. Because get it from the Jews, get it from whoever. Go get me some orange juice. What do I care about where it's from? So, you know, these anti-Semites, they don't want to give any business to the Jews. So they go to the supermarket, they get them some orange juice, they bring it to the Paritz. The Paritz drinks the orange juice. He's like, oh, it's like he's in heaven. It's like, I have to meet this person who has this orange juice. He gets up, gets on his horses, and goes to the supermarket. He meets him, he sees all the wonderful fruits and vegetables and everything he has. And he comes to the manager, to the Jew. He says, listen, 
see all the stuff you have. This is delicious. It's amazing. I'm going to make a deal. Everything from my castle, everything we're going to buy from you. All the food that's going to supply our castle, everything's going to buy for you. It's like a million dollar contract. This guy, that's it. He was doing good. Now he's, like I say in my, uh, in my uh, lecture about uh, you know, my personal story. He was already doing well. Now he's printing money. So now he's doing really well. A few months pass. He's still going to the kolel, collecting nine rubles from the rabbi and giving it to the people. After a few months of this big contract with the Palitz, the Palitz tells him, listen, I trust you, you're good, you're an honorable businessman, everything you promised, you gave, this, that, but I want to ask you for a favor. It's also business. And the reason I'm asking is because you're the only person that I could say is reliable and trustworthy. He said, what do you want? Like, listen, I don't have any children. I don't have any kids. And I want something for people to remember me by. So I want to make a statue of myself. A statue of rock, of stone. Yeah, it goes, breaks, this, that. It's nothing special. So I have a lot of diamonds and rubies and so on. And what I want to do is I want you to take it to these really uh, crafty people in, uh, in India and have them make me the same statue but just for my diamonds so I'm going to give you my statue that's made from stone and I'm going to give you the whole chest worth of diamonds and rubies and you go to India for me if you get, the, get the statue made come back I'll give you whatever you want now, in reality, the, the uh, manager here, the tzaddik, was not going to the kolel anymore. He's only going to collect the check. He's saying to himself, listen, it's not like I can tell him no. He's going to kill me. So it's not like I have a, it's like a no option kind of option. It's an offer that he can't refuse, like the mobsters used to say. So he says, okay. But on the other end, if I do it, Baruch Hashem, you know, I'll make a lot of money, I'll, I can donate money to Rav Pinchas, I can do Kiru, you know, do some, buy some CDs maybe a few generations later. Who knows? From Wall Street to the Western Wall too. Dollar a CD, you can do something. Kiru packages. They're not cheap, you yeah, need all these diamonds. So anyway, so he says, okay. He gets on a ship, on, on a ship, and the uh, captain of the ship is a Rasha Merusha who notices that this guy is paying too much attention to these two giant boxes that he brought with him so he stops along the way at an island he's like okay we're taking a break why don't you guys uh, take a walk I'll honk the horn in a half hour then you guys know to come back. And 45 minutes to an hour, we're going to take off. Yeah. So he gets off, gets a walk, sees the island, nice island. He hears the honk of the horn after a half hour. He starts walking back. He gets back to the beach. And he sees that the ship is already... 
sailed off and far away and left them on an island by himself. And this is a real story, by the way. And leaves this righteous Jew who used to be a manager of a kolel on an island by himself and the only thing he has is the thing that he always carried with him which was his talit and tefillin. That is a bag that he took with himself all the time. And that's all he has. All the money, all the gold, all the everything, all his life, his wife, everything, gone. He's on an island by himself. He doesn't have a cell phone. So now he starts walking around the island. He goes, what do I have? So he starts looking for food. And he sees this amazing trees and fruits and vegetables. So he takes, starts picking foods, tastes, you know, starts tasting different things. Everything's good. But then there's one tree with... Um, what is it called? Agas, agas. Pear. A pear tree. Said, this pear tree is out of this world. Like pears, like he's never tasted before. And every time he's like, you know what? What can I do here? I can't learn my Gemara. I can't learn my Mishnah. I can't learn Chumash. I can't, what can I do here? So at least what I'm going to do is every day when I do my two brachot on this pear and on the water from the river, I'm going to do the bracha with all the kavana, with all the focus in the world, just to do the best bracha in the world. So at least I know that I haven't lost my mind. I am close to Hashem. The best I can do, what can I do? I don't have my bracha, I don't have my nothing. So at least when I do this bracha, Hashem gave me this beautiful, amazing pear that's so delicious, I'm going to do this bracha with all the kavana in the world. And that's what he did. Every day, before we eat the pear, it's Baruch Hashem, Kenu Melech HaOlam, Boe Priya Eitz. And he take it and he bite it and he go into it. And feel Hashem within this pear. Mamash, like all the meaning, all the covenant in the world. Not two second prayer like we do. Mamash, take his time. And then the water, the same thing. Shakonia Midvaro. And a few months pass and eventually he sees that. There's only one pair left. This last pair, before the next season starts, starts growing new pairs. Because the rest of them are not ready. This pair are not ready. There's only one ready, fresh one. This one's going to have more kavanah than the rest of them. It's the last one. I don't know when the next one I'm going to get. It's going to be months, maybe. So he does a blessing... But this blessing is better than all the blessings he's done in the last few months. And as he finishes this pair, he hears a horn of a ship. He runs to the beach. He sees a ship just off the coast. He waves, hey! I'm here. You know, he looks like he's from the movie Castaway. You know, beard, looks like a caveman. So after they check to make sure that he's not a crazy person, they bring him on board. And take him back home. As soon as he comes home, without skipping a beat, he goes directly to his rav. He doesn't go to the parits. He's scared he's going to kill him. What are going to tell him? Listen, the guy threw me off the ship and uh, I lost all your diamonds. going to kill him on the spot. Does he care that he threw him off? He didn't throw him off. 
So where does he go? He goes to the rabbi, Rav Pinchas. Runs to Rav Pinchas from Kuritz. And this time he doesn't have the kavod he used to have as far as wait for the rabbi, tell him, no, tell him. This guy just spent the last six months on an island. Goes to the rabbi, for the Rav. Rav season, yes. Why did you shortchange me one ruble? <laughs> so the Rav says, go take a shower, clean yourself up, get a haircut, come back, I'll tell you the whole story. So, he goes, cleans up, comes back, goes, yes, because you know his rabbi was telling him for a reason. Surprise his So, he comes back to the Rav, he says, yeah, why did you shortchange He said, you know, part of what I do is I try to help Neshamot, get to their tikkun. There was one neshama that no matter how many prayers and how many different sessions of learning and different fasts that I would do, they wouldn't let it go. They said, you can't fix this neshama. You can't fix this neshama. He's too much, too wicked, did too many bad things. Can't fix this one. Yeah, but it's an important neshama. And he tried to fast for it. He tried to fix it. He tried to do all these different things to save the soul. From going to eternal Gainom. And he got to an agreement with the Betin of Shemaim. And he told him, listen, there's only one condition. We give you one deal. What's the deal? We're going to put this Neshama inside a pit in the middle of the world, in the middle of the island. And the only way that they Neshama can be fixed is if somebody does a blessing with full kavanah. And he says, and I knew that the only one that can give a blessing with full kavanah is you, my student. But I knew that the only, if I told you this, it would be kavanah but not full kavanah. So the only way that I can get you to do this mission is by putting you in a desperate situation. Well, you had no option to go to the supermarket, you make money, then you lose everything, then you go on an island and you don't have anything, and then you have the fruits and you enjoy the fruits, and even that you lose and you only have one fruit left, and that's the pear that needed the tikkun. And as soon as you made the blessing on that pear, the ship came at that time. Because you fixed the neshama, you fixed the tikkun, now you come back and we learn just like we did before. And don't worry about the pelitz, he already died a few months ago, his whole house went on fire. Shows you... This is worth nothing. It's gone. But shows you that if Rabbi Pinchas from Kuwitz was worried so much about a neshama that already passed, how valuable is a neshama that's still here? How much you have to work to go get them to come back to Hashem? Neshama that's still alive here. You understand? Here's the story. Real story. Yeah, he got 10 movies every time. <laughs> he got 10 movies after that, yeah. So, so you have... An understanding of how valuable is a neshama. So now that we know we got the teachings from where we got it from, now the next Mishnah, Mishnah Aleph Hey, says Yossi ben Yoezer Isreda Omer, the first out of the two, Yossi, the son of Yoezer, 
leader of Tzreda says, Yibetcha betvad lechachamim, ve'eve mitabek ba'afaraglem, ve'eve shoteh betzama et divrem. Let your house be a meeting place for Torah scholars. You shall become dusty in the dust of their feet, and you shall drink in their words with thirst. Sounds like a uh, tongue twister. Very complicated message here. Just let your house be the meeting place of Torah scholars. Okay, that we understand. That we understand. So first, Chazal is telling us that Yossi ben Yoezer, when he says, let your uh, house be the meaning place for Torah scholars, he's trying to fulfill one of the three pillars of creation that his teacher, Shimon HaTzadik, said. If you remember, Shimon HaTzadik said, on three things the, uh, the world is standing on, and they are Torah, the service of God and love, uh, the uh, acts of loving kindness. So, Yossi Ben Yoezer is trying to fulfill one of them. He's saying the success at studying Torah. What do you need in order to succeed in studying Torah? Now, of course, yes, as Rashi says, if you want to get yourself friends, buy books. It's the most reliable friend in the world. Books are your most reliable. You can learn something from them. And you know it's 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 the it's the truth. It's Torah. People, not always necessarily truthful. So Rashi's best friends were books. Definitely not TVs. So now there are certain things that you can do in order to magnify your success in Torah. Now we know that Torah is learned. Obviously, it's something you have to learn. You have to read books. You can't just like wake up one day and you know everything. But in reality, the majority of what you know is not from what you learn, but rather from Siyata Dishmaya. It all depends on how much Siyata Dishmaya you have. And Siyata Dishmaya means assistance from heaven. So, as it says, if you actually have the art scroll um, Talmud Bavli, it's probably also in the uh, Yerushalmi as well. Um, but it says there's a, there's a sort of not necessarily a blessing but it's uh, sort of like a saying that you say before you uh, learn Torah in general not just a, a Gemara that um, it says mm-hmm. Translation May it be your will, Hashem, my God That a mishap not come about through me And may I not stumble in a matter of law Meaning halacha And cause my colleagues to rejoice over me Meaning I not stumble and then a bunch of people make fun of me And may I not say regarding something which is tameh that it's Tao, and not regarding something that's Tao, that's Tameh. Meaning, may not learn things the opposite way, misunderstand them, say that something that's kosher is not kosher, something that's not kosher is kosher. So may I learn, whatever I learn, learn it the right way. And may my colleagues not stumble in a matter of law, and I rejoice over them. 
Meaning, may I not be one of these people that say uh, gets over him, so gets you know gets a uh, too much jealousy in his head where I see other people uh, succeeding and I don't like it, and when they fail, I celebrate. Like sometimes you have, unfortunately, unfortunately, this is part of the satan. This is part of what the satan does. That um, when we do kiruv, so as I told you guys before, the the Obviously, there's battles that you have to fight all the time. There's different tikkunim that you have to go through, whether it's a uh, having 103 fever two days ago or yesterday, or uh, different uh, things with panasa, or different things with a uh, all different types of things. But sometimes that's that's part of life. But sometimes you have to battle with the biggest enemy, and the biggest enemy. Before I got into this, before I got into kiruv. I thought the biggest enemy would be, I don't know, maybe Goyim, that didn't like Judaism, anti-Semites, or maybe the biggest enemy would be people that are anti-religion, or communists, or something, Yevsexia, like we talked about in year we did about the Holocaust, or maybe atheists, I don't know, who could be the biggest enemy? I didn't think about this too much, I just got into it, head first. To my surprise, who's uh, the biggest enemy? Baruch Hashem is not many, but there's a few. Rabbis. Fake rabbis. So, and why are they enemies? Obviously, they, they have a big Yetzirah Miskinim. Poor people. They have a big Yetzirah. They can't control themselves. But the reason why they're, they're, they're falling here, and they what are they doing? They, instead of helping the Kiruv message, spreading the word to people, hey, listen, you want to do tshuva, go listen to this lecture, it's very motivating, it talks about this, talks about that. Or if you don't like it, don't say nothing. I didn't say you have to work for me and publicize it. You don't publicize it, don't publicize it, don't say nothing. Like the video but, that we saw. Right. That's ridiculous. So here's the thing, you want to say something. Good, say something good. You don't want to say nothing, keep quiet. But sometimes people are haters. And they don't like when somebody else succeeds and they didn't succeed. They're in the same position... 30 years, they haven't moved, they still have their basic keilah, 75% of them still don't even keep Shabbat. And you come into town and already got 30, 40 people keeping Shabbat within a few months. And you don't even think they're followers, just people start keeping Shabbat, but it's from you, not from them. So they have a problem with it. So these people are haters. And it's skinny, it's, 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 uh, I feel bad for them, because if they don't do tshuva, they have a serious, serious problem on their hand that they won't be able to fix after this life. But anyway, it says here, May my colleagues not stumble in the matter of law, and I rejoice over them. Meaning, may I not be one of those people where I see somebody failing, and I'm happy over it. Where I become a hater. I become one of these people that wants other people to, to, to fail, because I, I want to be the only one that succeeds. Meaning, I'm learning Torah for the wrong reason. Not learning Torah of Lishma. Not learning Torah for the sake of Torah. I'm learning Torah for fame, for fortune, for publicity, for honor, for all the wrong reasons. So already you're seeing in this in this blessing or saying, and this has a source in Masechet Brachot, page twenty-eight B. Then it says, it quotes a uh, a verse in Proverbs, in Mishlep, uh, chapter two, verse six. For Hashem grants wisdom; from His mouth come knowledge and understanding of God. Unveil my eyes that I may perceive wonders from your Torah. And the last part comes from Psalms. So now, 
Here, if you see what it says in Proverbs, what Shlomo Melech says, from his, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding of God. Right after it says, Hashem grants wisdom. Meaning that, yes, you're going to learn this Gemara. It's going to be difficult. And you're going to learn, you're going to learn, you're going to break your head until you finish the first page. I remember when I first started learning Gemara, to finish one daf, one daf would take me six to six and a half hours. One page, one page, six to six and a half hours. I would lose my mind. I'm like, I don't understand it. I mean, I've read a lot of books in my life, Baruch Hashem. I wasn't exactly an idiot before I got into this. I psychology books, biology books, financial books, this books. I wrote a lot of articles, did a lot of, uh, you know, I was in a financial industry. And I was also, you know, a student in college and this and that. I read books, Baruch Hashem. I come into this Gemara, six and a half hours for one page? I want to rip my hair out. And still, even after the six and a half hours, I barely understand anything. Fixed the mind. It fixed a lot, eventually. But, took a long time. A lot of effort. And then, you see, you start learning, and you learn, you learn, you go through it, and to finish the first Gemara was a nightmare. It was, like, so difficult. And, I, and the only, honestly, the only reason I first Gemara... I wanted to quit 500 times. But Rabbi Ephraim, tzaddik that he is, kept me going, kept me going. No, no, this is it. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. <laughs> He's such a tzaddik. Well, I'm glad you did. That's why I'm here. So, Baruch Hashem, kept me going, kept me going, kept me going. When I finished the first Masechet, first Masechet, I'm not even talking about the Shas or this. First Masechet, first Masechet Brachot, which is like two books, like this. Masechet Brachot, honestly, I felt like I just like conquered a nation. It's like, ah, me and the Mashiach are close now. You, know, like, you, know, you feel like you're like a little mini Moses. You finish the first second, even though it took you uh, however long it took you to, to finish it, it's like, wow. But you feel different. But what's the... Okay, so I learned something from it. But in the reality, you think that all the stuff that I tell you guys, I learned all this stuff? I'm telling you, there's something called Siat Dishmaya. There's knowledge that Hashem gives you, puts you in your mouth, that puts that all of a sudden you figure things out. You have chidushin, you have different things that Hashem gives you. Not that you just learned it, but you get a certain understanding or even certain knowledge that's, that's instilled within you once you've earned it. As it says in Proverbs, Hashem grants wisdom. Meaning, yes, you're going to learn from this book. You're going to read this book. Once, twice, 500 times, doesn't matter. Each time you learn something new. But Hashem is going to decide when you're going to figure certain things out from this book and when, based on your effort. When you learn, the easier it becomes. Some rappers could learn it easily. The Gemara, the more you learn. Sure, but again, there's learning the Gemara like uh, Rav Kanievsky. He learns the entire Shas, Yerushalmi, Bavli, all the Midrashim, all the Shulchan Aruch, all of, pretty much everything, every year, all of them, every year, which is something that's not even human for the rest of us, to finish one of them every year. But uh, still, it's a, he still gets new Torah wisdom every year as a result of his effort, not necessarily as a result of, his, of, uh, of him reading it over again. There's a certain amount of Siat Dishmaya. It's hard to explain Siat Dishmaya without somebody having it. It's like explaining a blind person the color blue. You could tell him it's blue. He's like, it's like, oh, I don't know. I never saw blue. It's like the sky. Okay, what's the sky? 
You know, it's like uh, like the ocean. What's the ocean? You know, it's a uh, like green, but it's not green. It's blue. What's green? You know, oh, it's like you know, you don't understand. So chapter Shmai is one of those things like you really can't explain until somebody feels it, but you get the idea basically. So your Torah knowledge is the more you study. The more you exert your effort, the more you break a sweat, the more sacrifices you make, the more is going to be granted to you. Meaning you can read the same parasha 500 times. But if you've exerted enough effort, you'll understand or get a chidush from that parasha that you never even thought about at the time you read it or at a different time, that all one say, you know, one day you just wake up, you're like, wait a minute, parashat lechlecha. I remember it says verse this, that, that. All of a sudden you figure something out. For what? You didn't even think about it. Shem's going to give you that chidush. And the certain chidushim, Chazal says, the certain chidushim that only you can get. Only your neshama can get. And it won't come to the world until your neshama gets it. So, Bezat Hashem, we'll have this chut one day. Amen. So now, um, there are certain things that you need to do in order to succeed at Torah study. So first one we understand is that you have to study. You have to exert effort. You can't go hang out at the bar twice a week and expect to be a successful scholar. You can't be a uh, busy 18, 20 hours a day in business and expect to be a scholar. You can't watch sports 5, 10 hours a day and expect to be a Tamid Chacham. Honestly, I don't know if you could watch sports at all and be a Tamid Chacham, but let's say you can. Maybe, I don't know, half hour a week or something. Um... But everybody is at their own level. Point being is that Yosef and Yoezel is telling you one of the ways that is going to help you succeed in learning Torah is surround yourselves with Torah scholars. Make your house a place for them to meet. Don't be one of these people that's all this fancy house. You know, people like fancy houses today. You know, they spend, they always did. They spent a million dollars, two million dollars, five million dollars, thirty million dollars. You you see all the stuff on it today. Fancy houses and chandeliers for twenty five thousand dollars. Sixteen cars and no drivers in the driveway. You know, you have this, you have that, you have, I don't know, 20 rooms, all this stuff, and barely anybody home, just a couple and a dog. You have all these big houses and nothing, it's empty. What's it for? It's for show. So, when one day, once a year, they have, I don't know, the, the mayor come over, they get show oh, wow, look at, look at this nice house, look at the chandelier. Oh, if uh, Forbes comes, they can take a picture, oh, wow, look at the chandelier they have. It's all for show. Telling you here, Yosef Ben Yoezel says, no, no. Your house, you want to succeed in Torah, you want to, you want to have Bracha in your house, make sure you have it as a regular meeting place for Torah scholars. Tamidim Chachamim. Because if you have constant, if, you, if it's a play, if your house turns into a place, we have Shuret Torah there, where there's on a regular basis with the Tamidim Chachamim. On a regular basis, they feel comfortable coming to your house. Whether you like it or not, you're going to benefit out of it. Number one, you're going to benefit out of it from the bracha they bring to your house. 
all the Torah, all the blessings, all the things that you bring into the house, already you benefit. And number two, you, sh- you, uh, you shall become dusty in the dust of their feet. So one of the pirushim, what does it mean, dusty in the dust of their feet? Meaning if you're following somebody really closely, like in the desert, the dust from their feet hits you. So if you follow really, really closely, you can overhear what they say. Whether you like it or not, it's going to affect you. The Torah, the wisdom they have, is going to affect you. You're going to become a Tamid Chacham one day, Bezrat Hashem. If you're constantly around Tamidim Chacham, you're going to become a Tamid Chacham. You're constantly next to losers, you're going to be a loser. You're constantly next to winners, you're going to be a winner. You're going to be next to Tzadikim, you're going to be a Tzadik. So, but it's not like if you're next to them, you know, once a month, once a year. No. If you're on a regular basis, you're constantly making an effort to be next to people that are learning Torah on a regular basis. Whatever you can do, whatever you can do, bring them to your house, arrange shulim, invite them. Whatever you can do, bring them over to get them to be next to you at all times. Why? Because you just want to hear what they say. Now you want to tell them what you know. Listen, for the Rav, look, I, I read Masechet Brachot and I want to tell you, what do you think of No, no, who cares what you say? Come there with two ears and one mouth. For the Rav, Lamdeni, teach me. Teach me, for the Rav. In Gemara Masechet Chagiga. Two students of, I believe it's Rabbi Yoshua, don't quote me on the name. Um, two students of one of the big tzaddikim. They were big tzaddikim also. All mentioned by name, which means all three of them were able to uh, revive the dead. The two students of Atana, teacher comes up there and he says, What did you learn in, uh, today in the yeshiva? What did they teach today? You say, well, the love, we are, you're the fountain that feeds us. Uh, we have nothing to offer you. Meaning, that quenches our thirst. We have nothing to offer you. Meaning, how could us, the little cups, give you anything? What can we teach you? You're the rabbi. You're teaching us. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to give you something. Like today, somebody learned, I don't know, they heard some shiurs, like, hey, did you know uh, uh, that it says in this Gemara, this, that? Yeah, maybe you knew, maybe you didn't know, but are you coming to teach, you coming to learn? The best is sometimes I have shiurim. <laughs> some people are funny. Shiurim. I have this one guy, Israeli guy, God bless him. Uh, he, uh, <laughs> he does this. Uh, he uh, so he learns something, Bo Hashem. He learns a little bit, but uh, you know sometimes people like to show that they know also. I get it. They feel like it's a race for some reason. It's not a race. Well, we had to learn Torah. What race? Who am I, Bechlad? Are you going to race me? So I say. So he learned something, and uh, but he asked me a question that he already knows an answer. You know one of those questions? Like I'll give you obviously a very uh, uh, example. Uh, like, uh, do you know who was the main character in Parashat Lech Lecha? Obviously it's Avram, but it's just an example of a question. Do you know who the, who the main character in Parashat Lech Lecha was? Now, he's not asking me because he wants to know. He's asking me to, to see if I know, number one, because he knows the answer already. So, 
So to show that he knows. So, uh, so you know, you catch on to this, obviously. After a while, you catch on to this. And I used to have these same type of questions in the business world for my students in the business world. You know, I teach these guys how to study for the, you know, big test. I, you know, the uh, Series 7 is the first big test. It's 265 questions. And uh, over 70% of the people fail. 70% of the people that take it fail. Now, uh, so, uh, Hashem, you know, we know how to study. So I would teach all the guys that would work for me. I teach them how to pass this test. I teach them how to study. Study for a few months. And uh, they used my system of how to study it, and they passed the test. But the funny thing is about these young kids, and not all of them necessarily, I call them all young kids, even though some of them were even older than me, uh, because to me they were all kids. Um, and uh, but it's funny as soon as they would like study it sometimes it would be after they pass the test sometimes it's before they even pass the test and they come and they tell me hey uh, you know Mr. Ruben do you know uh, the rule SEC rule ta, 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 ta? and like they would know the answer but they want to see if I know the answer like I'm thinking to myself I taught you how to study for this test you want to teach me a rule like is there something wrong with you? I this is what I this was my this is what my my idea was and back then. Today I'm a little bit softer, Baruch Hashem. Uh, trying to work on my midot, so I don't I don't lose it on anybody. But it's still funny to me. So the guy is asking, he goes, Do you know so and so in this parasha or this rule, this and he knows the answer. So today I say, No, tell me. No, tell me, tell me. I don't even tell him, do you know tell me, tell me what it is. Yeah, you want to hear yourself talk, go ahead. Wait, what am I do? I <laughs> tell you. So, and he told you? Okay, no, so you would tell me what it is. No, not every week. Whatever, once in a while. I have uh, this guy. And uh, every week it's something like that. I, uh, he, uh, one day he'll give you a chidush. He'll like, want to give me a uh, chidush. You know, tell me, tell me. Go ahead. Maybe one day he really may give me a chidush. Zod Hashem, Zod Hashem will give me a Whatever, listen, sometimes it's a, uh, some people, some people need to get something off of their chest, why not, why not? It's good for them also to have to build some confidence, you want a guy to have a confidence to learn, to see, oh, listen, there's learning is also, uh, very valuable. Um, and this actually, I learned this midah, I learned to do this actually from my love, Rabbi Ephraim, um, where, um, every time I would say, Oh, you know, uh, remember when you taught me that the guy goes, stop, no, no, I didn't teach you anything. We learned together. He would always correct me to this day. Every time I say, remember when you taught me ABC? He goes, no, 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 I never taught you anything. It's when we learned together. I'm like, what we learned together? You were teaching, I was listening, I didn't teach you anything. He goes, no, it's not true. He goes, I was there. We were learning together. And that's what it is. That's how Chabuta works. You learn together, Baruch Hashem. So, so now, but this is also the mindset of a Torah scholar. The mindset of a, of a Tamid Chacham is there's no such thing as a um, Gava and all of that stuff. You have to make sure that you... What happened to the students who uh, were with the rabbi? Oh, what do you mean? When they... Uh, told them you were the fountain. Yeah, you're the fountain. So give us a Chidush. And he says, yes, you're right. But I'm sure there's still something valuable that you learned in the uh, yeshiva. So tell me. And they told him one thing, and he gave them, he expounded on the chidush that they gave him. They gave him. He gave them. They told him what they learned, and he gave them even a chidush on the chidush that they learned. So, if you want to have 
uh, success in Torah, make sure that you make your house into a place where Torah scholars feel at home, feel comfortable, make your place a place where you have shulet on a regular basis, you have your friends over, instead of having your friends over for baseball and football games or just a place to sleep, arrange, arrange a few guys to come over, learn Torah, it doesn't necessarily need to be huge. Just anything, anything to get on a regular basis to bring some blessing into your uh, into your house. Another idea, I said this uh, at least in my Hebrew lecture. I said it uh, once before. I'm not sure if I said it in English, but it's worth saying. It's a phenomenal uh, idea for any restaurant, kosher restaurant, to do um, on a regular basis. Obviously, have shuleto at a restaurant is already a great idea. A lot of people know about idea. The idea to have you know a kosher restaurant to have shuleto. Not only brings uh, parnasah to the place, but also brings a, uh, what's it called, brings bracha, brings blessing to the place. But I think something, you know, to have a shul to lie every day at a restaurant is not easy for everyone. But something that you can do every single day, all day, to bring blessing to your place, is to give people an incentive to do Birkat Amazon. You see a lot of these, especially like the sort of like fast food places, like shawarma places. You see, many of them have a... Um, excuse me. Um, many of them have the uh, cards of Birkat Amazon, you know, in some, you know, somewhere in... Uh, uh, usually it's next to the garbage pail. Not exactly the best idea, but, you know, on the counter sometimes, a different place, they have the cards for it. And whoever wants to do Birkat Amazon after they eat the shawarma or whatever they ate, some bread that they ate, they take the thing and they read it. But in reality, if you actually pay attention to the restaurant, let's say you have 25 people, maybe one, two of them are actually reading the card. The rest of them are eating a sandwich and leaving. And leaving not eating the Amazon. Now, Bikat Amazon, we learned from Gemara Masechet Brachot, is the number one blessing in all of Judaism. It's more important than Shema Yisrael. It's more important than Amidah. It's more important than any blessing we have. Why? Because the only bracha in the Torah that's literally stated what you have to say. That you have to do it. So the number one most important blessing in all of Judaism. So think about this. You can get people to say this blessing in your place over and over again. The number one blessing in all of Judaism. In your place from morning to night. Turn your place into a kolel already. People, people, people pay thousands of dollars. People just get a blessing, or put something at the kotel, or get some card that says some zgula or something. You get people to say blessing in your place for what? So I think you should give them an incentive, an incentive to do it. Now, if you tell people, listen, listen, it's good for you to do brichat amazon. They have yetsara. I said, no, no, thank you, not for me. You tell them, listen, you do brichat amazon. I take off, I don't know, two dollars off your off your bill. I take two dollars off the bill. Okay, it's fifteen dollars. Now it's thirteen dollars. Or whatever, one dollar, whatever it is. You want to take off a dollar, two dollars, something that people are gonna do it for it. And get people to do big at the Amazon, I think it's it's a the place gets the bacha nonstop. Whatever, get free dessert. But the point I'm trying to say is that this is a great idea that every kosher restaurant should implement because, again, number one, you're going to get the blessing. Number two, you're going to help people do mitzvah. You're going to be a masakeh rabim. Who's better than you? Or, or free fountain drink. You don't kiruv. Huh? Or free, uh, free fountain drink. 
Yeah, but he's already finished. If the guy's already finished, no, but he's already finished. If he's doing bekat hamazon, he's already finished. If he's doing bekat hamazon, he's already finished. But he's already finished. Why are you giving him more food? He finished food. Okay, maybe. So anyway, so see, I give you the idea. I give you. I'm the student. I give you the chidush. You guys are expounding on it. So baruch Hashem. So now. It says, let your house be a meeting place for Torah scholars, and you shall become dusty in the dust of their feet. So, another pirush of you should be uh, dusty is one should make himself a student of Torah scholars, literally sitting at their feet in the dust. Where in the Mishnaic times, a couple thousand years ago, it was customary for all the students to sit around the teacher's feet. You know, he would sit. You would you would sit on a chair, and everybody would sit on the floor around him. You know, around his feet. Pesach back in the day, they used to sit on the floor. Okay, exactly, exactly. So that's one. But another pirush is actually that you shall become dusty in the dust of their feet, meaning you should do anything for these tzaddikim, for these tamidim chachamim. Anything you need to do for them, give them a drink. Uh, go go to the store for them Go buy them something Do them a favor Do this, do that Whatever you can do to help them With their life So they can focus on Torah So they can focus on what they are They're scholars Do whatever you can to make sure they stay that way So anything of this world Oh, you need uh, You want to pick up a book for you Oh, you want to pick up your laundry Oh, you want me to I don't know, take uh, this, take that all these little things become a shamash. Exactly, become a shamash. But the point is that you try to. You have a rabbi coming from out of town. Already, okay. don't make sure I'm a. Uh, I'm picking you up at the airport. No, you don't need to. There's taxi. No, no, no. I'm picking you up at the airport. I'll be there. I'm taking you to the airport. No, oh, listen. You know it's far. It's out of the way. I gotta go to work. Whatever you can do for these tamidim chachamim, because. That's that's the opportunity you have. That's the mitzvah you have. That's the uh, how you can get close to them. Make sure your place. Somebody comes out of town. They feel comfortable. They don't have to ask twice. You're the place that's hosting them, and so on and so forth. Don't just be one of these people who has a fancy house that's full of nothing. Make it full of tamim chamim. Make it full of of, uh, of Torah. And then the last part it says, and you shall drink in their words with thirst. The Rambam in Ilchot Deot 6.2 interprets this figuratively. It says, as a way to cleave to Hashem by being close, in close contact with his Torah scholars and their students, one should marry the daughter of a Torah scholar, marry his own daughter to one, Eat and drink with scholars, provide business opportunities for them, and generally engage in all kinds of social interaction with them. So, first and foremost, he's telling you here that you have to make sure that this is actually more in regards to the uh, being the, um, I'm sorry, the, uh, the still the dust in their feet. Is Rambam is telling you that you know you have to be so close to them that. Connect to them in any way you possibly can. Marry them, marry a daughter to them. Is actually a uh, one of the uh, um, sages says, sell everything you have 
in order for your daughter to marry a scholar. Tamit Chacham. But if you know, she's a bad coin, she must. But in regards to, in regards to the uh, drink their words with thirst, the Vilna Gaon cites the verse in Isaiah 55, verse 1. All who are thirsty go to water. As the source for this particular teaching. Meaning that anyone, you know, he's using obviously the reference. Water is another, um, uh, what is it called? A, um, another word for Torah. Jesus is a word for Torah. So he says, all who are thirsty go to water. Anyone that's looking for the truth arrives at the Torah. In so many words, it's what the Vilna Gaon is saying here. But if you really want to get what what Yossi Ben Yoezo is telling you here, if you really want to get the wisdom of Torah, you want to get to not just eh, listen to Chidush here and there, a little shiur here and there, you want to really get the wisdom of Torah, act like you're thirsty. Act like it's the greatest thing in the world. Don't ever think for a second that if there's a debate in your mind, do I watch the elections or do I go to Shul Torah, that you're, that, you're, that, you're, uh, you know, that you're thirsty. Don't ever think that you're doing somebody a favor by going to the Shul Torah. Don't ever think that if you're doing any, uh, any learning, like somebody other than you is benefiting out of it. When you really want to learn Torah, and to get to a point of being a Tamit Chacham, you have to act like someone that's been in the desert his whole life. Like the next Chidush is going to change your life. You have to do whatever you can to just free time. Any minute you have, another two minutes free, okay, let me watch a clip. Uh, another one of these clips. You have five minutes, alright, let me open the book. Alright, let me do this. Every constantly looking for time to get the next Chidush. Get the next Torah wisdom that's going to add to your life, that's going to add to your life. Constantly chase it. Constantly look for it. Don't look for videos of uh, cops saving ducks uh, in the middle of the road. Look back, you on Torah. Oh Hashem, you have a lot, of, a lot of things. That's what people do today. They look at these videos. I don't know, they see people, they, uh, uh, I don't know, these videos have a billion and a half hits. You know, we have, I don't know, we're happy when we see 500,000 hits in a video, a couple thousand hits. I have one clip, I, uh, this one clip we have, um, oh, I don't know, maybe like five, 6,000 hits on it. And uh, I get excited, oh wow, 5,000 people watched this clip, it's great. And, uh, but then you see one of these idiots made a clip of a cop <laughs> saving ducks in the middle of the road, gets, I don't know, a billion hits, and I'm like, Shem if a billion people watch Torah... Imagine that. With the video, everyone is sharing it on their page. Can't. No one, no one sharing the Kiwi video. Right, exactly. So, so that's the thing. So you know, you get excited. Get a video. The uh, see, ten thousand people watch this video. Ten thousand people watch that video. You get excited, but then you see two babies laughing. Get three hundred million hits. I'm like, ah man. How can I? Uh, how can I be? Not everyone has the merit to see. Okay. See, not everyone's thirsty. Is my point. Not everyone's thirsty. Not everyone's thirsty. You want to get chidushim? You have to act thirsty. 
בסדר. So, יוסי בן חזקיה, next Mishnah, hey, this was actually Dalit, all the way to now, now we're going to hey, the fifth one. יוסי בן יוחנן, יוחנן, איש ירושלים אומר, יהי ביתך פתוח לרווחה, ויהיו עניים בני ביתך, ואל תרבה שיחה עם האישה, באשתו אמרו, קל וחומר באשת חברו. מכאן אמרו חכמים, כל המרבה שיחה עם האישה, גורם רעה לעצמו ובוטל מדברי תורה, וסופו יורש גהנום. יוסי בן יוחנן, leader of Jerusalem, says, let your house be open wide. Sounds similar to the first Mishnah we just read. Treat the poor as members of your household. So here we see it's an upgrade. Not just Hamidim Chachamim, even the poor. And do not converse excessively with the woman. They said this even about one's own wife. Surely it applies to another's wife. Consequently, the sages said, anyone who converses excessively with a woman causes evil to himself, neglects Torah study, and eventually inherits Gehenom. So the first thing I'd like to mention here is obviously you see that Gehenom is not a topic I created. The sages say it. And they say it in many, many places in the Torah. It's not some mystical teaching of a place that may or may not be. It's outright in the Torah. It's in the Gemara. It's in everywhere. It's everywhere. So anyone that tells you Gehenom doesn't exist in Judaism, or it's a, uh, it's a washing machine for 12 months, it's complete hocus-pocus nonsense. Gehenom is very much real. It's a shemerachem, horrible. And, you know, when I, as I told you guys many times, we're not, not going to do the shiur the about Gehenom anytime soon, uh, because I don't think that uh, people are ready for it. At least the vast majority of people out there. And anyone that's ready for it, pretty much already knows about it. But anyone that's really, really insistent, really, really insistent on learning about Gehenom, um, you have one of two options. One, learn some Gemara, you learn about Gehenom. Well, one of three options. Learn some Gemara, you learn about Gehenom. It says some things about it in different places. You learn some Gemara. That's one. Two, learn from the book Rishit Chochmah. Rishit Chochmah, unfortunately, it's only written in, in uh, Hebrew. So for Hebrew speakers, there's Rishit Chochmah, talks about Gehenom, gives you a lot of, lot of details. And that uh, will help you understand about Gehenom. Or three, and this is probably the biggest wake-up call for anyone who really wants to learn about it. And um, this is this is very real. I'm not joking about it. And I think I told you this before. Um, anyone that really wants to know what happens in Gehenom, watch videos of abortions. Watch you want It doesn't need it to be plural. It doesn't need to be videos. Video. One video of what actually happens to an abortion. What happens... And you see how Shemerachem, they cut the body of the baby and it's outright murder. Abortions are not allowed in Judaism under any condition unless it's a life risk, unless the mom is at risk to die or something. And um, this is the best, what happens over there is the best case scenario in Gehenom. 
That's the best case scenario in Gainum. So it's much worse in Gainum. So for any of the fans that I have that keep writing me every other week about, come on, when are you going to do this year in Gainum? This really is, uh, you know, necessary to, to let them know because, again, most people can't handle watching that. Uh, I know when I first watched it, uh, you know, it's, I have nightmares about it. Um, even after learning about Gainum. Because when you see something versus you read about it, it's different. So, but that's the best case scenario. It's actually one of the tzaddikim, previous generation. I forget his name. Um, one day, everybody, all the students arrive at the kolel. Usually, you know, the rabbi has a book in front of him. He's going to teach him halacha, mishnah, gemara, something. But today, they see the rabbi cutting a steak. So they're waiting, you know, they kavot for the Rav, they have respect for the Rav. They're not going to say anything to call the Rav, what, you forgot to bring your lunch, you forgot to prepare your lunch, you're preparing in the middle of class. They're not going to say nothing, they sit over there quietly, they have an hour with the Rav. Okay, he's cutting a steak, he's cutting a steak, what am I going to do? He's cutting small pieces, another small piece, another small piece, cubes, this, this. And he finishes eventually with the steak. They're like, okay, so 15 minutes he's cutting the steak. Now we're going to learn. Bring another steak. And he cuts it. And he cuts it. Another cube. Another cube. Small, small pieces. And he cuts it. And cuts it. And he cuts it again. And he cuts it again. And he cuts it again. 15 minutes to cut a steak. Did you ever see somebody cutting a steak for 15 minutes? Small pieces. And like this. Half, half of our class is already gone. Second steak's finished. What does he do with the third one? Third steak. And this is how he spends the whole hour you not saying one word. And the students, they're not going to say anything. They have respect for the rabbi. They're not going to interrupt him. It's cutting the steak. Cut a steak. What am I going to do? Maybe he needs to make lunch for his kids. Who knows? Maybe he works in a restaurant on the side. What do they know? They're just students. They're just, okay. Yeah, well, he wants to share with the class. Maybe he wants to share with the class. Maybe, yeah, who knows? At the end of class, one hour has passed. Everybody... Gets up, he says, This, my friends, is the best case scenario for you if you don't do tshuva and you end up in Gainom. This is what they're going to do to you. Like what I did to this steak. Shemelachem. Shemelachem. That's the best case scenario. But worst case scenario, what happens to Titus, what happens to JC. What's the difference between getting burnt and cut up? Both <laughs> I guess it's different than Shemaim. I don't know. Either way, it's not good. So for anyone, for anyone, for anyone, huh? One is never ending. Okay. So here, first of all, we see why I mention all of this to see that obviously Gainom is very much a real place. Chuva is not an elective. You must do it. Find a way to do it. Find a way to beat your Yitzhakah. It's not a matter of, listen, we uh, like scaring people. I'm not Freddy Krueger, the character from a movie. You know, this is trying to tell you what the Torah says to get you to wake up so you can do tshuva, so you stop doing sins, and you live a good life. This is for your own benefit. And somebody told me today, you know, listen, you teach, uh, you know, this part of the Torah, and other rabbis teach a different part of the Torah. They teach the nice and this. I'm like, no, no, no. It's completely not true. We're learning Chavuta. And he's like, you know, he's a big fan. And uh, I'm like, no, 
actually had a chidush. I'm like thinking, I'm like, no. If a rabbi is teaching you all the nice things in the Torah, Parashat Shavua, he's telling you Avraham Avinu was a tzaddik, he was in a cave, and Moshe Rabbeinu, big tzaddik, he was, and went to the mountains, and he saw the fire, and this, and that, and Am Yisrael left Egypt, and there were slaves, but then there were all prophets, and David Amelech was a tzaddik, and everyone's a tzaddik, and you're a tzaddik, and he's a tzaddik, and she's a tzaddik, and everybody's a tzaddik. Everybody's great. Everybody's a tzaddik. Everybody's great. Give me tzedakah. Be a tzedik. Tzedakah, tzedakah, tzedakah. And tzedik, tzedik, tzedik. And that's it. A lot of tzedik. So, they tell you everything is nice. And we'll teach you about shlom bayit. And we'll teach you about, you know, not to be angry. And we'll teach you about all types of basic level things. That really you can get a lot of it in self-help books, by the way. You don't need the Torah for it. You get it from common secular knowledge. It's not divine wisdom. Listen, stop yelling at your wife, you'll have shalom bite. It's not exactly divine wisdom. You don't need uh, the Torah for that. You know that some idiot figured it out. Because if I yell at my wife, she's not going to like me. If I don't yell at my wife, there's peace. Okay, great. You want real peace in your house? You want love in your house? You have to learn divine wisdom. What real shalom bite is from the Torah. But again... That's still not going to make a human being everywhere. Okay, maybe you have shalom in your house, but you're a thief outside. So people that just teach the nice parts about the Torah, the nice stories, the sipurit tzadikim, and all that stuff, it looks like they're teaching a different part of the Torah from what we're teaching. Completely not true. What's the difference like? The difference is they choose the nice parts of the Torah. The nice stories. There's plenty of nice stories. We say everything, which is nice and not so nice. So there's a difference. What's the difference? Not that I teach a different part of the Torah, or Rav Mizrahi teaches a different part of the Torah, and they teach a different part of the Torah. Where I teach the scary part, and they teach the nice part. No, it's as you can see. There's some nice stories that we say. There's nice things that we say. There's things that are based on emunah there's things that are based on rational there's things that are based on science and then there's some things that are scary like chopping you up into little sticks but what's the difference here one is teaching the whole Torah and the other one is teaching parts so you tell me which one do you think is going to help you more in life learning the whole picture or learning a little big, small piece of the picture if you learn the whole picture then you know exactly what you're, what you're dealing with you learn part of the picture you, you don't know the whole you don't know what's going on if you only know the income coming into the company you know part of the picture but if you know the income plus the expenses you know what kind of company you have so if you do it in business you need to do it in life also and in, in your eternity also so people need to know that Genome definitely does exist doesn't necessarily mean they need to know everything that goes on in there because it's not necessarily uh, going to uh, help everybody at the current state that, you're, that they're in, but nonetheless they definitely need to know that it does exist because the fear of heaven is the, going to help you not sin. Much more than the thought that you love God or something like that. You could eventually get to a point of loving Hashem, Bezat Hashem, but first you need to start fear, by fearing Him. Once you fear Him and you won't sin, and or you'll lower the amount of sins that you have and you can build on that. So moving on to finalize this Mishnah, the second Mishnah, Mishnah Hey, the fifth Mishnah, 
So what's the difference here in between the two? First, he's telling you, Yossi ben Yochanan, the leader of Jerusalem, upgrades from Yossi ben Yoezel. He says, let your house be open wide, meaning, be like Abraham Avinu. Don't just make your place a meeting place where it's once in a while. Make your house open wide, meaning open all the time. Go all the way. Where just like Avraham Avinu had four entrances. He had a tent with entrances in all four corners. Why? So anyone coming from anywhere will know it's open. It's available. You come. It's easy access for you. You don't have to think, listen, I have to go around to see if it's still open. I have to feel at home. See, feel at home. Make your place open to everybody. Don't build one of these houses that's, uh, you know, it's a magnificent big house. But no one's allowed to step on the carpet. So you don't want to the house, no? Huh? Let's say you have a fancy house, you don't want to No, you can build a fancy house, but as long as you make it open to everyone, enjoy. Just like Rabbi Yudan Asi. There's a story about uh, one of the uh, students of Rav Wasserman. It's very, very rich. And this is a generation before the Holocaust. And... Uh, one day, Avosimim was one of the Gdolado, came to collect some staka for his uh, yeshivot. He go to this one guy that was very, very wealthy. Big, big house. And, you know, in those days, they didn't have roads like they have today. So Avosimim, all of his you know, shoes were dirty with the mud and all the filth of the streets. It was raining and so on, so he didn't want to go in the front entrance. So he went around. He knew that there's an entrance in the back of the house. He knocked on the door, and you know, the daughters of this rich guy were sitting in the kitchen. They opened the back door. He says, Is your Abba home? And they go call their Abba. He comes in, he goes, What are you doing? Why are you coming from uh, the back of the house? He goes, No, you know, see, look, I. Uh, I feet are full of mud and dirt and filth from the streets I didn't want to walk on your carpets and ruin all your stuff all your you know fancy rugs why are you ruining my kids why are you ruining I was like I learned from you learned from you this Mishnah let your house uh, be open wide. Meaning, for the Torah scholar, it's first class service, these rugs are worth nothing. What is, what's more important? You're Tamit Chacham, you're one of Dolei Israel. You're the Torah. What's more important? You are this $20,000 rug. from the wrong entrance. This is what I've been teaching, this is what I've been teaching my kids my whole life. You coming from the back, what are my kids going to think? You think, oh yeah, this guy knows, knows a lot of Torah, but uh, he's not more important than our $20,000 rug. So he's like, please, do me a favor. Go back to the front entrance and walk and jump as much as you want with all the mud in the world on all the carpets. And that's what he did. Go in the front with the mud, with everything, and the balabite was with him. Mud, no problem. Why? Because the Torah is much more important than anything you're going to have. Is what somebody needs to understand is that again, yes, you're allowed to have nice things. You're allowed to have a fancy house. No, no one's telling you you have to live in some corner or some hut. 
you know, begging for change. No one says that. But if you buy very expensive things, very expensive house, very expensive carpet, very expensive chandelier, very expensive furniture, all those things are very, very nice. But no one's allowed to touch it. No one's allowed to enjoy it. And it, and it, it becomes more valuable in your eyes or anyone else's eyes than someone that's a Talmit Chacham, you have yourself a serious problem. Your priorities are completely off. So the next thing he says is treat the poor as members of your household. So he's upgrading. He's saying, listen, you want to get to the level of Avram Avinu where you already open your house in four corners to make everybody feel comfortable. Don't just host the Tamidim Chachamim, host the poor. Because why? Because many of these poor people are actually Tamidim Chachamim. Many of these poor people are Tamidim Chachamim, but you're not going to know Tamidim Chachamim. Not all of them are walking around with the glima, like the Gdol Adol. And you know, wow, this is a Gdol Adol. He knows, he's famous, he's this. He's... Not everybody's like that. Evan Aezer, Evan Aezer, one of the giants of history. The... Um, these stories are known how poor these people were poor, poor people people wrote articles I believe it was the Ben Ishchai they wrote articles about his house they couldn't believe that the Gdola Doa lives in a house like this you go there's actually uh, uh, YouTube videos about Rav Steinman Gdola Doa is 103 years old his house millions of dollars crosses Fingers every day, people wanting to donate this, that, the other thing. The guy's house, a homeless guy today lives in a better house. Apart. The house is falling apart, this, that, it's nothing. He sleeps on, on crates. Milk crates. He puts a mattress on it. He studies his Torah. Not because he doesn't have those, no money, no this. He can have whatever he wants. He just, he's completely disconnected from the material world. Steinman. Nachumish Gamzu is from 2,500 years ago. No, that Earth statement is from now. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm saying also Nachumish Gamzu lived in a house like this. Oh, yeah, maybe, maybe. He left the house, it collapsed. Maybe, 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 you're right, maybe, you're right. 103, so it's not about Hashem. Rabbi Akiva is Rabbi, and I was... Huh? Nachumish Gamzu, the one... He's one of the rabbis of Rabbi Akiva, yeah. So the Kabbalist guy said it was such a mess, and he knew that when the students asked him to help him move out, he says, I'll go out first, because the second I leave, the house is going to collapse. I heard that story, but I just didn't know the story. name. Yeah, yeah, I heard the. St- I heard. I know the story. I just didn't. I don't remember the name. Nachum Amzu associated with the story. I told somebody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a. So when somebody's connected to this world, he's going to care about the chandelier and the table and the chairs and this and that. No, if you buy something, if you, if you getting expensive stuff is going to make you like that, don't get it. Better have a simple house. Better not have it. But if you can share it and make sure that your house is open and then this, then Hashem is going to give it to you. Right. So, okay, very rich, very rich. But then right after he says, treat the poor members as the members, uh, the poor as members of your household. Immediately after that, he says, do not converse excessively with the woman. What does one thing have to do with the other? Okay, so one hand is saying, open your house. Treat the poor as members of your household. Next thing you know is don't talk to a woman too much. What does one thing have to do with the other? Everything has to be connected. If you're going to have your house really open, you're going to let everybody in, you know the Yetzirah is coming in also. 
So Yitzhak is going to send different things. Average guy, going to have people come in. What is Yitzhak is going to send them? He's also going to send them women too. Women also poor once in a while. Right? So he's going to send her in. He says, listen, let her in, but don't talk to her too much. Make sure it's just to help the poor. She's poor, help her whatever way you can, but don't talk to her. Don't make a relationship out of this. Don't look at her too much. Don't make a relationship. Don't talk too much. Because even her voice, according to the Gemara, even the voice of a woman could be considered nakedness. A man could be turned on even by a woman's voice. Even by a woman's voice. Rav Tzion Abba Shaul had a uh, student who told him, uh, uh, who told him, Kodarav, I need to get glasses, but the only place next to me, next to where I live, has uh, you know a place for glasses, but the doctor is a uh, a woman. But she doesn't touch. No touching or anything. She's not going to touch me. Just show me the glasses. Because be careful of the voice. He goes, no, no, no. She doesn't touch me, nothing. It's okay, just be careful of the voice. And the student didn't get it. The student later on told the story. So he went, got the glasses, got, got, went to the, get the test. And um, he noticed that every time you know, she would say something, he felt something. And he came to the Rav, and he's like, Rav, but Rav, like, oh, Hashem, no touching or anything like that. She's a doctor, a regular doctor, not a regular woman. But every time she said something, I, I don't know, I felt something. He goes, nope, oh, not to go there anymore. What's it mean? He goes, even to some guys, to some men, they're, uh, what's it called, their Yetzirah is big on stuff like that, where even the voice of a woman can turn them on. This is why, according to many, not allowed to listen to a woman sing. A Jew is not allowed to listen to a woman, to, uh, to a woman sing if he knows what she looks like. If she knows what she looks like. So, it's very, uh, in general, it's better if you're going to listen to uh, music, it's uh, better to listen to men sing or even to just music without words at all. Um, I know on a personal level, uh, that's one of the things that I did as part of my tshuva where I pretty much eliminated uh, uh, all music that has words. Unless it's like Tehilim or something like that, you know, uh, and you'd be surprised how trance, it's how it affects how it affects nah, trance. Trance is like uh, it's not exactly uh, uh, it has no words. Yeah, it has no words, but it it's makes you think of uh, unholy places. Last time that somebody listened to trance wasn't exactly when they were uh, getting a chidush in a Torah. It was usually getting a chidush from a mindset, from ecstasy or something. Oh, yeah, it's not. It's not exactly a. Uh, it's not a place. Not, not a music to listen to. Music with filthy words. No, so like I said, it's better to it's better to listen to music without words, what or to listen what, to music with words that are holy, like Tehillim or Tikkun Klali or uh, opera. Yeah, it's fine. That music doesn't pump you up. Yeah. Listen, it's. Uh, I'm telling you what I did. You do what you want. I'm telling you what I did. I'm giving you what I did. That helped me. I, you, uh, I needed to do a lot of chuvah. Maybe you don't need to do as much chuvah as I did. What I can tell you. So, he says, listen, invite people to your house, be a tzaddik, but don't talk too much to a woman. And this is not even, this is obviously, 
even referring to your own wife. So of course it applies to, to another's wife. Meaning, he's saying don't speak to a woman too much. It's not only to some strange poor woman that came to you for help. He's saying don't even speak to your own wife too much. And definitely don't speak too much to somebody else's wife. Meaning, to just talk, come and talk about nothing to your own wife. If it's necessary, like, hey honey, how was your day? How are the kids doing today? You know, you're trying to, especially if it's like a new marriage. You know, you try to give her some strength. You know, she has, uh, she needs some direction in life. She needs uh, some uh, help with emunah. She needs some emotional support. She needs some attention. You must do it. That's why it says, you know, um, don't converse excessively. Meaning, it doesn't say don't talk. Don't be one of these people that's a mute. All of a sudden you're a tzaddik, you don't want to talk to little women at all. Don't be one of these crazy people. Not teaching crazy people here. This Torah is for humans, not for animals. Or crazy people. So, it doesn't say don't talk to them. It says don't talk to them excessively. So first and foremost, we need to understand that it's referring to things that are batel, that are nonsense. Like, you know, things that are not Torah related. If you're talking Torah, talk as much as you want. That's number one. Number two. With your wife, it's necessary to have some of those conversations because not everything is related to Torah. You have have to manage a house. You have to manage your bills. You have to give her emotional support. You have to be a husband. You have to be a friend. You have to be everything for her. So, but make sure it's not to a point where it's like, okay, you're only talking to her and you're not learning Torah anymore. Make, Make sure it's under control. But when it's referring to another's wife, even more so, even more so, less conversation, less talk at all. As a matter of fact, try not to talk to them at all. Why? Because if you could have your wife speak to them, have your wife speak to them. If you can minimize the word, say the same thing in two words instead of four words, say it in two words. Don't have, don't develop some friendship with someone that's not your wife. Uh... Don't develop that with, with a girl that's not your wife or a woman that's not your wife. It's not healthy. Why? He says, anyone who converses excessively with a woman causes evil to himself, neglects Torah study, and will eventually inherit Gehenom. So here he says three different things that it causes. So first and foremost, it causes evil to himself. What does it mean, causes evil to himself? As Shlomo HaMelech says, Ra, Raza Gehenom. Evil is Gehenom. What's, what's he meaning? Here he's referring to that's uh, desires, sexual desires. Whether it's your wife or it's another woman, even more so when it's not your wife, it's natural for a man. That's how a man was built. It's not that he's bad and she's good, or he's good and she's bad. It has nothing to do with that. A man was built that way. Where if he connects to a woman, he hears her voice, has even one thing in common with her, already starts thinking. A woman, on the other hand, if she finds emotional support from a man, if she finds him somewhat funny or amusing, if she sees some emotional connection of any kind, even a friendship type of connection, that's, that's, that's it. 
And human beings were created in a way where one of the main ways we can express this connection, this so-called love, is by lust. By being physically connected. So when you are going to spend too much time talking to a woman, it's natural for both of you to get sexual desires. And Hashem Erechem, you're married, she's married, you have a serious problem. You're married, she's not married. She's married, you're not married. Either way, neither one of you is married and you can't wait till the wedding. You have yourself a serious problem. You have yourself a serious problem. So you have to make sure that you minimize your conversation on that end because it leads to sexual desires. Second thing is that even if it's relating to your wife, if you're if you become your wife's BFF, it's very, very healthy for a relationship. But if you're, all of your conversations are purely about her girlfriends and your friends and your job and her job and what the kids did in kindergarten and how cute is, the, how cute is it that our kids said the first word and how cute is it that the neighbor's kid didn't say the first word yet and ours did and this and all this nonsense conversations only and there's no Torah, there's no, no spirituality. What happens? Your conversations end up Creating bitul Torah. It ends up creating neglect of Torah. And as we'll learn from chapter, I believe, 4 of the Mishnah in Avot, Rabbi Shimon Bar uh, uh, Yochai says that when someone is a Mevatel Torah, when someone is a um, neglects Torah study, meaning, not neglects Torah study, he doesn't study at all. Someone is studying, but then stops. For what? For something idle. To answer a phone call. Hey, somebody, you know, he's studying Torah. And somebody calls him. Somebody calls him on the phone. He's like, oh, let me check what's on the phone. I'm studying Torah, but let me check what's on the phone. What's the video? Or like he's, you know, he's studying Torah. He sees something on, you know, he overhears something on TV. He's like, oh, it's, oh Trump's winning. Oh, Hillary's winning. Oh, Shemir Oh, what? He stops. It's Torah. He says that there's a There's an angel in Shemaim. That comes to the process, comes to the Bedin uh, of Shemaim at that moment and asks for a death penalty. You're not to study at all. Lao better not study at all. If you can't focus 100%. Why can't you focus 100%? Because sometimes I want to learn and take a break. Ah, okay, so there's a pitaon for that also. To say not studying, to say not studying at all, it's like saying, listen, I can't do all the mitzvot, might as well not do anything, live like a goy. That's retarded. This is only I some like vape also when I study. Vape as much as you want. We're not talking about vape. Vape doesn't take away your attention. Vape is, uh, you know, you're smoking. Okay, it's not exactly healthy how much you're smoking, which is a different lesson for you. But the key is that it's focusing on Torah and not the television. So the Gdolei uh, Israel have said, I think it was a, um, I, I may have been off Kanievsky, maybe actually Mav Shneiman, but uh, said that it's it's a good for someone to say that when they sit and study, to already say in their mind that I'm going to study until I stop. Like I'm not I'm not going to say, listen, I'm going to study for an hour and then chasve shalom, something distracts me and I stop in the middle because then you have a serious problem in Shemaim. So already say mentally, I'm going to study or even loud, say it, say it out loud. I'm going to study until I stop. So that way, you're at least not putting yourself in a bad situation. So that, but not not studying at all. It's, come on, it's, uh, all these shulim you're coming. This is what you tell me. No, I heard this is because 
I heard that. Everybody that's saying it's almost Sadiq says all the Chilushim just said he's going to give up the whole Torah because he can't focus. Can so all better study. That's the point. You're supposed to get some yeah. serious musar from what it. What about the, the thing where I heard that it says even when you swallow your saliva, uh-huh. they're going to punish you for that while you're learning. Swallow your saliva. I haven't heard that. You didn't hear I haven't, that. I haven't heard that one. Because I'm the source. That's good one. That's good one. You swallowed your saliva, and it's one of the places in hell that you get punished for. It's different levels. Different level, Baruch Hashem. So no, I haven't had that one yet. Bezat Hashem, I'll read it. Yeah, Bezat Hashem. So, so now he says to you, he says, okay, so speaking too much to a woman cause evil to himself, cause you know, your sexual desires, then it causes somebody to neglect Torah. And eventually we'll inherit Gehenom. So, now, obviously Gehenom we already talked about. And this shows everybody that doesn't believe in Gehenom that it's very much real. But you have to understand this whole issue about speaking to a woman that's not your wife is something that is critical to the Torah that it's not something that's chauvinist, chauvinistic or it's not something that's against women, it's just part of reality. In the Gemara, Masechet Iruvin, page 53b, is an amazing story of one of the most righteous women that ever lived, as far as Torah scholar is concerned. Her name was Buria. And if you remember last week, I told you the story about Buria. Buria did not agree with this Mishnah. She did not agree with the, that the fact that a woman is easier to entice. She did not agree with it. And unfortunately, she fell. She took matters into her own She fell at her own test. But Bulia was a big tzaddika, big tamidah chachama. She knew an enormous amount of Torah. And one day in the Gemara it says, she saw on the road, Rabbi Yosei Aglili. Rabbi Yosei Aglili. And Rabbi Yosei Aglili asked her which way to go to Lod, this place called Lod. And she says, Glili Ashote. Glili the crazy. One of the giant sages of history, she's calling him Glili the crazy person. Don't you know the halacha of not speaking too much to a woman, speaking excessively to a woman, you could have said, where is Lod? Meaning two words, instead of you used four words. Used four words, you could have used two words. And she was very angry at him. So she knew, so she knew that the voice of a woman is enticing. She knew that you're not allowed to speak excessively to a woman. Some Mephalshim even say uh, that he said, which way can we get to Lod? Made it sound as if he was connecting her and him in a strange way. Needless to say, she obviously was brilliant. And she knew even that this particular Mishnah is very much right. Listen, you cannot talk to someone that's not your wife excessively and even if it is your wife you have to monitor your conversation because if you don't you're going to at the very least at the very least you're not going to study as much Torah as you need to at worst you're going to make sins you're going to make sins 
So this is something that's very, very important for people to understand. The um, this uh, I heard the story actually. This and I'll finish with this. There was one uh, big rav. I forget his name. I forget the name. It's a story that happened uh, eight years ago. Machon, machon, rav machon. Quote me the name. I'll try to remember it if I can. Bezot Hashem. Told my love, or if I'm, there's this certain yeshiva, or kolel, in Israel. Unfortunately, a lot of the young guys, even though they're all learning Torah, learning Talmud, learning this, learning that, before their, uh, you know, once they met their shiduch, um, they couldn't wait for the wedding, and they started touching. Some worse than others. Some kissing, hand-holding, things like that, which are also not allowed. And some went, much further. And this Rav said eight years ago that every single one from that particular yeshiva, since they all knew you're not allowed, every single one of them that touched before wedding, every one of them had at least one child born with Down syndrome. A, some worse than others. Some, you know, Down syndrome is not always like the highest level. There's different levels of it. So, my uh, Rav, on a fine, says, I don't know, a couple years later, or a year later, one of the couples, one of the couples that he knew, the student went to that yeshiva, which he knew he wasn't exactly the biggest tzaddik in the world. You know, this is Yitzhak beat him on that one. He said they, they had a kid born, and the kid was fine. Nothing. It's like, oh, listen, this Rav was a big mekuba. It wasn't like some, uh, you know, a little uh, basic basic, uh, basic rabbi. It's a big mekuba said this. That's not like that's not like a big rabbi. He says, oh, listen, no. kid was born, nothing wrong. Oh, Hashem, it's good. It's not a bad thing, but. What the rabbis say, usually, you know, it's, it's, it's come true. So, well, okay, so it didn't come true with this couple. Maybe five years passed, just a couple years ago. He says they discovered in their girl, that girl, the same girl that was born, she was now five years old, that she, she does have Down syndrome. Yeah. She does have. It's not same, not the highest level, Baruch Hashem. You know, it's not always from the uh, looks. It's also uh, different, yeah. different levels of it, behavior, and so on. But she didn't have it. So now, what's the difference? It's not necessarily to explain, to tell people, listen, you're gonna do this, you're gonna get this. No, there's people that knew first of all, knew the chumrah of things. But the point I'm trying to make here, and I'm sure I'm gonna get a lot of hate mail for this story because people don't like to hear stuff like this. But it's it's very much it's real stuff. It's real stuff. This stuff happens. You know, it's not like a, the rabbi didn't make it happen. This is what happened in Shemaim. He just said, this is what happened. This is what's going to continue happening. And people need to understand that Hashem is very serious about the Torah. Hashem hates zima, mean, meaning He hates immodesty. He hates promiscuity. He wants you to be holy because He is holy, as He says in the Torah. 
So in order to be holy, we have to not only learn his Torah and learn the Alachot, but we have to learn the whole purpose of the Alachot is to make us solid people, solid, good quality people, tzaddikim. So we don't end up and where this Genom is, uh, they keep mentioning in his Torah. And actually what we're going to try to do, we're going to Bezot Hashem over, I don't know how long it's going to take us, but we're going to try to go over the entire Pekavot, the entire Mishnah, which is Bezot Hashem going to take us a while. But what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to actually count with you guys how many times it mentions Genom in, in Pekavot. So today is the first time. Today is Genom number one. So we'll see throughout the Mishnah how many times it mentions Genom. So whoever says, listen, uh, where did it say Genom in the Torah? I say, listen, just in Pekavot, it says, we're going to find multiple out soon. We'll say multiple times. So tomorrow, tomorrow we're going to have a Shu in Aventura. And uh, then Luke's. And the... Um, a lighthouse project at 8.30 And we're going to continue with Mishnah number 6 Vav Which is Yeshua ben Parchia V'nitai ya'arbeli Kiblu me'em Yeshua ben Parchia Omer Ase lecharav Ukne lecha chaver V'ave dan Et kol adam Lekav zchut Yeshua ben Parchia And Nitai of Arbel Received the tradition from them Meaning from the previous ones That we just mentioned Previous ages We just mentioned Yeshua ben Pachia says, Make a teacher for yourself, acquire a friend for yourself, and judge everyone favorably. So this is a very, very interesting Mishnah, because it's very relevant to us today, when it says, make yourself a teacher, and buy yourself a friend, usually we would expect a difference. We expect, buy yourself a rabbi in today's age, and make yourself a friend. So the Mishnah is saying the opposite of what we naturally think. So tomorrow, Bezat Hashem, we're going to learn about that. What does it mean to make yourself a rabbi? Who should be a rabbi? Who is the fake? Who's real? How should, you know, all the issues when it comes to a rabbi, because I think that's one of the roots of the problem of, of, of tshuva these days, where people are just making anybody with some payas and uh, a hat uh, their rabbi, and it's, uh, or some guy to just, you know, throw off a few alachot by heart, and they make him their rabbi, and, uh, you know, it's, a, uh, it's not necessarily always a good fit. Or, they make somebody their rabbi, but they don't want to listen to him. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's my rabbi, he's my rabbi. Okay, so, do you listen to what he says? Eh, sometimes. So he's not your rabbi. He just knows Torah, and you listen to him once in a while. No. You understand? So you have, to, you have to decide, you have to decide. If he's your rabbi, you have to listen to everything he says. He's not your rabbi? Okay, so you have to find yourself a rabbi. So we're going to learn all the details of that. Why, who, when, fake rabbis, because there's also some recent stories, Baruch Hashem. Of uh, you know more more signs that the uh, Mashiach is coming soon, where the Satan is getting stronger and stronger. Is has all these fakers are exposing themselves. We talked about earlier of how certain groups and cults are uh, are making it uh, idol worship. You know uh, into uh, you know they're, they're they're making Judaism look like idol worship, or their their version of Judaism is idol worship, where they're worshiping rabbis instead of worshiping Hashem. So, we're going to talk about that as well. Canceling mitzvot. Canceling mitzvot, yeah. So, you know, it's very, very important to know all the details of who could be your rabbi, who is your rabbi, and so on. And who is a rabbi bichlal at all? Any questions? Yeah, um, when they say that if you have uh, to choose between Torah and Bikram, the Torah that you got from Hashem, or Torah and you have to choose one of them. Over the other, mm-hmm. so that means the Gemara 
and that is more important than a regular Sefer Torah, right? Yes. The reason why is because the Gemara... Is also considered... This huh? is also considered Oral Quran? Okay, Pirkei is the Mishnah. It's part of the Mishnah. Mishnah is where the Gemara came from. Mishnah came before the Gemara. So Rabbi Yudanasi put together the Mishnah, and from there, they actually made the Gemara. The Gemara explains the Mishnah, how they got to the Mishnah. So Pirkei is one part of the Mishnah. Uh, and that's the Oral Torah. And uh, the reason why it says to uh, that we would choose Chazor Shalom, if it ever got to a point where we have to choose one of our Torahs, the Oral Torah or the Written Torah, um, and we'd have to choose the oral Torah over the written Torah. Number one, the oral Torah covers the entire written Torah. Meaning, when you learn Gemara, you end up going, you end up covering the entire Tanakh through the oral Torah. They mentioned the halacha came from this one, from this verse. Oh. This story came from this one through this story or through this verse, through this verse. You end up covering the whole Tanakh through the Gemara anyway. It's not in order, but you end up covering it anyway. You end up knowing what happened in the Torah anyway. Uh, number one. Number two, the written Torah without the oral Torah doesn't make any sense. Because part of the oral Torah is also Nikud. It's also the vowel system. How to, pronounce. how to pronounce things, how to say things. Which means if you don't know how to pronounce anything, then you don't know anything. That's number two. Number three, it's a, uh, you're not going to know how to do anything. Okay, so now you're going to remember it. In this generation, you're going to remember it. Another generation, you're going to remember it. But a third generation, you're going to forget already half the stuff. By the fourth, fifth generation, you don't know anything. And you're not going to learn how to do any mitzvah from the written Torah. Okay, it says keep Shabbat. How do you keep Shabbat? What, do you put it in a cage? You look at it and, you know, what do you say? Put it in a box? What do you do? How do you keep Shabbat? How do you do brit milah? What's the orla? They say cut the orla. Okay, what's the orla? Is it a piece of your ear? Is it a piece of your nose? Is it a fingernail? What's the orla? Only the oral Torah has the information. You understand? So, all of the mitzvot that are written in the Torah, Hashem says, do all of them. But He doesn't give you any details of how to do it. The only place that you have of how to do it is the oral Torah. So the only way to fulfill the Torah is with the oral Torah. The written Torah is the source of everything, but how to implement the source, the on button, is the oral Torah. It's how to do everything. Next. Get some sleep. Baruch Adonai Amen ve'amen. Chazakim v'buchim.